And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Wednesday, November, or December, wow, well, November, December 6th, 2017. I'm Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman together. Something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Got a lot of information to get into. We have a great show planned for you tonight. Bottom of this hour, Carl Gallup's going to come in for a segment, make an appearance. And then we have a, uh, really a, a very interesting guest, a writer for American Thinker. Uh, Lori Lowenthal Marcus, attorney, litigator in a major Philadelphia law firm, talking about a number of issues from the, uh, from the Jerusalem moving or, or the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital to, uh, the current climate of, uh, sexual harassment. So that's going to be very interesting. Of course, our three, Pastor David Langford, but, um, recognition of reality and the right thing to do, of course, heading off, um, the, the news, the recognition. Jerusalem has always been the capital of Israel. I, I've been seeing so many things, and this is something that uh, Joe and I can get into. I mean, you know, Joe, I, I've been seeing so many misstatements or misperceptions or erroneous perceptions about Jerusalem. Oh, oh yeah, they're moving. Yep. They're moving the capital. Yep. No, 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 no. Well, you have uh, the media backlash from this. Uh, Chris Matthews called evangelicals crazy this morning on Morning (laughs) Joe uh, because of of their belief. Now, Trump issued a statement from the White House today saying that he is only the latest president to be faced with with this problem of the U.S. not having a recognizable capital in Jerusalem or in Israel. Right. And that, that being between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, he is saying, he said that he is just stepping in to solve the problem, which should have been solved long ago, and that the U.S. should have always recognized Jerusalem as the capital That's of right. Israel, and you see everybody has a problem with it. And I said this on The Daily Show today, you're going to really see the anti-Semitism come out of these, uh, you know, compassionate, tolerant, politically correct social justice warriors with this one. I, I totally agree. Now, now, my question is, will the, will, will this, Entail an embassy move, an actual physical moving of the embassy. I I know what was said. Yes. Okay. Well, because I say that because the waiver was signed by Trump that that process won't start until 2019, I believe it is. They have to secure the site for the, the embassy. They have, there's a lot of things that they have to do. Right. Right. And he signed a waiver. Uh, stating that that is going to be delayed a little bit, but that is the plan. And, and, I, and I suspect, I suspect a couple of things. There, are, I, I do believe there will be conditions attached to this. There are conditions, I suppose, perhaps backroom conditions. I, I say that not to, not to take anything away from from our president. However. I, I just, I have this, there's always conditions attached it, when you have a move like this, perhaps, and, and I do suspect this more, more than likely by the, uh, front, at the hand of the Department of State. Okay, that's, uh, that's one thing. And of course, we're going to be talking with, uh, with our guests in hour two about that. And Pastor Langford. And, and Pastor Langford, absolutely. The other issue, HR. 
38 past the house that is the gun uh the the concealed weapons permit state reciprocity and, and it's interesting that um you know the the lack of uh, consistency by both sides, by both progressives and conservatives, uh, is brought up, saying, in, in fact, from the progressive side, well, I thought, uh, you know, you, you conservatives were all about states' rights. Well, you should let states decide this. This is a constitutional right. issue, this and, is and a, that's the difference. Yep, there yeah, should not know. be states that are infringing on the constitutional Second Amendment right to begin with. So. There shouldn't be laws on the books against that. And um, I believe that this next has to go to the Senate and then to be signed by the president. But this would equal uh, the you would be able to carry your concealed carry your weapon. If you have a, a concealed carry permit in your state, that would apply to in the states that have the CCW laws on right. the books. Right. And, and when I read that, that uh, caveat, maybe I, I don't know. Are, are there are there states that don't have any? Concealed weapons? I'm not sure laws? about Hawaii. Hawaii has very uh, strict gun laws. I'm not sure about their concealed carry. And But I know there are places in California, in Illinois, and in New York that have... Well, yeah, uh, but I'm talking about entire states. Um, you know, that's a good question. Let's uh, do some research and find okay. out. Okay. Well, we, you know, th- that's one thing. But but it's it's a victory for the proponents of the Second Amendment. I, I'm very appreciative that uh, that this has passed. Now, the, the House. Now, do you think that this would have even been brought up had uh, had there been a Clinton presidency? And I understand the separation... Obviously, I understand this is a legislative branch issue. However, would this have even been brought up uh, for a vote in the House had Hillary Clinton been in office? Uh, I suspect not. By the way, tonight's broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks, omahasteaks.com. Hey, if you're looking for that, if you've got somebody that's really hard to buy for, or perhaps you want to give someone a very special gift, go to omahasteaks.com, and in the search bar, type in HH. Once you do that, a very special uh, offer will come up, 75% off, or, uh, well, it's actually the uh, the family gift pack on sale for listeners of the Hagman Report, HH in the search bar, for forty nine ninety nine. More on that later. It's a, it's a terrific gift. Uh, and I highly recommend that. That's omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. Now, so there are no states that, that okay. don't allow concealed carry. There's three categories. There's unrestricted states, shall issue states. The may issue states are nine states with the most restrictive rules regarding concealed carry. That's California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New York, and Rhode Island. Right. Um, and then most of the states are shall issue states. And then there are six states that are unrestricted states that you don't need. Uh, as long as you're allowed to have a gun, you're allowed to conceal carry it. So, uh, and AZ Central, ArizonaCentral.com has an article out on the, uh, gun laws, which says, or on this reciprocity bill, which says, conceal carry bill will fail, so stop freaking out. And uh, we can get into a little bit that a little bit more later. I want to jump back well, to wait the, a who who's saying that? That's on Arizona Central, azcentral.com. It's uh, okay. Um, it says uh, why I'm not holding my breath for national concealed carry, and the article states as follows: How uh, excited or freaked out, depending on your politics, should you be about a bill to make all states recognize valid concealed carry permits? 
The Attorney General of 24 states, including Arizona, have signed a letter making a convincing legal argument for Congress to act. Um, the bill in the House had a 213 co-sponsors, which they say is very impressive. But this author says they're not holding their breath for it to become law because now it has to pass the Senate with, right. with at least eight Democrats supporting it, and that's not going to happen. So that's why they believe that that is not going to. We, we have a we have a majority in the Senate, right? But don't isn't this a bill where you you only need the majority? It's a good question. Well, we'll have to look good into question. that more. All right. I want to go back to the. Um, the Jerusalem issue, because this is the biggest story by far of, of the week and of the month so far. And this from Drudge links to the Daily Mail. Furious Palestinians burn American flags and promise more days of rage. Uh, they, they issued a statement that they're going to have three, at least three days of rage. Well, President Trump announced today he's recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital city and starting the process of moving the embassy from Tel Aviv. And it goes on to say that Palestinians said it would be the kiss of death to the two-state solution, and that it is equivalent to Trump declaring war in the Middle East. The terror group Hamas said Trump had opened the gates of hell. Pope Francis said he is profoundly concerned that um, everybody res- that everybody should respect the status quo of the city of Tel Aviv. It's interesting that you wow. have Hamas and Pope wow. Francis on the same side of this issue. China, which has good ties with Israel and the Palestinians, expressed concerns over possible aggravation of regional tensions. Iran's leader says Trump's new stance is representative representative of incompetence and failure. Sounds kind of like CNN, (laughs) right? Uh, Moving the embassy to Jerusalem will unfold over years, a senior White House official says. It won't be immediate. It will not be in months, and it won't be quick. The White House offered no expansion on Trump's argument that peace process is unaffected and how it ties to Jared Kushner's peace plan. Well, MSNBC reacted by having a meltdown for the ages over Trump's delusional Orwellian Jerusalem speech. NBC suffered a meltdown on Wednesday afternoon following Trump's speech of the recognition of Jerusalem as the Israeli capital, Hmm. unleashing guest after guest condemning the delusional and Orwellian speech that will cause people to die and American credibility to be shot. It all started about 1 p.m. Eastern following the president's remarks. And here are some of the things that were said. Um, Khalid Engley kicked things off, saying that it was an Orwellian disconnect between what he was saying and the actual political and practical practicalities on the ground. He added the president couched the statement as a step towards peace, which was quite the contrary to the international consensus. This administration really appears to be in sort of a bubble when it comes to this issue. Uh, Stephen Clemens went and said this is an enormous change. Donald Trump is essentially smiling at both parties, but he stuck a knife in the back of the two-state process. Um, Joel Rubin said he's delusional, and this is a significant move for American national security. It's going to reflect very badly on our ability to further our security interests in the region. They also said that America's credibility is now shot, and the peace process, process has been ruined. And it goes on from there. They uh, are saying, you know, this is a, uh, the president is, um, you know, th- this is a terrible move against the, the Palestinians, the average citizens in Jerusalem, they say, and this is stabbing them in the back. Another person says this is a decision to appease his donors like Sheldon Adelson and provide political mm-hmm. cover for the vice president and to score points for his evangelical supporters. 
and they also say he is crazy and mentally unfit, and uh, you know more of the same from the media. So the Very media not ha- the media and the Palestinians on the same side. So all right, well that, that that's wow. I, I do I do expect this will give look. <laughs> They don't need a reason for violence at all. The, the Palestinians, the Arab Muslims do not need a reason. It's, it's, no. there's been consistent violence there since 1948. So it's, yeah, however, this, I, this will be one of their, their reasons or excuses to exacerbate the violence. By the oh, way. Yeah, this is, uh, Trump's fault. He's gonna, it's dangerous, uh, this move and it's, it, Trump's decision is definitely gonna cause violence and deaths. And Obama today said that what Trump did will lead to America, will lead America to a genocide like we have not seen since Hitler. Those were Obama's words. Wow. Okay. So uh, Obama weighing in on this particular decision is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. This and condemning uh, this decision. In a CBS News interview, we have uh, a Melanie Hobson. Um, Talking with President Obama, saying President Obama suggested we could have an American genocide akin to what happened in Nazi Germany with Donald Trump as president. The former president was speaking to the Economic Club of Chicago when he made the remark in comments captured by Chicago business columnist Greg Hines. According to Hines, Obama warned Trump's uh, his naivetism is distrust and distrust of the press would cause our democracy to fall apart quickly. Obama then made the connection between Trump and Hitler, warning 60 million people died when the world got complacent. And that's exactly what he says is going to happen under Obama. And the whole, there's a whole uh, four or five paragraphs here that are attributed to Obama where he is basically saying, under Trump's leadership, this is what we are in for. Well, don't, don't forget, Clinton proposed the, Clinton originally proposed this. Uh, both setting the capital and our embassy there and, uh, then put it in six month waiver format. R- remember that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, uh, I don't want to politicize this because this is more of a, a, a because of this, this is more of a biblical matter, but, but don't forget what Clinton did. And, and isn't it correct that this was a, Something that each president, in each of their terms, recognizes, yes. well, but then does nothing about, with the exception of Obama. Yes, the the, the short point that that's short. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. But by the way, I, I do want to mention that uh, our, our our guest on Vegas, top cop Doug Papa, he appeared on Tucker Carlson yesterday. I don't know how many people happen to catch that. Uh, fantastic. I didn't see that. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you something. It's great that Tucker Carlson is joining us who have been asking and pressing for questions and actually bringing people on that we've had on, including uh, Doug Papa, asking questions, uh, still pressing forward for answers about Las Vegas. Yeah, he's been one of the few in the mainstream who have continued to do segments of updates of um, survivor stories to questions of law enforcement and... Uh, I, at least once a week, I, I've seen him uh, go back to Vegas, which is definitely something we need. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that, that's good news. So, if you haven't caught it, Tucker Carlson, Doug Papa on Tucker Carlson yesterday, and you can find it on the internet. In fact, I, I sent a, um, a Twitter on my own Twitter account um, at Hagman PI with a link to 
Doug Papa's Las Vegas explanation, a 57-minute uh, uh, video piece. Uh, so if you didn't catch that, in case you missed it, you can go back and, and, and uh, look at it. I, again, m- much in the news. By the way, um, the um, in addition to in addition to, to Jerusalem, the, the uh, House House Resolution 38, of course. In addition, to all of that additional um, exposure to the witch hunt, Mueller's witch hunt, and uh, additional findings. I, I had a file up here, and uh, let, let me see if I can. Mueller's hit squad covered for Clinton and persecutes Trump associates. I covered a little bit of this during my my show this morning. This is incredible. You're looking at uh, just a... I don't even know how to explain it, aside from this attack simply to take down Donald Trump. There's no other way to explain this. And, of course, the infiltration by the well, I shouldn't say infiltration. The uh, uh, continued uh, capturing or the continued maintenance of the FBI and Department of Justice by Obama and Hillary holdovers, Hillary or Obama holdovers and Hillary sympathizers. It's incredible. Um, and, and at the epicenter of this, and this is kind of what, what frightens me a little bit or concerns me a little bit, is this Peter's uh Strzok. Strzok, thank you, because I keep wanting to pronounce the, the Z in there. This Peter Strzok, I can see him being used as kind of the scapegoat in leaving, that would leave Mueller, McCabe, Rosenstein, the entire bunch at the upper echelon untouched. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely, but I, even then, what's going to happen to Strzok? Nothing. Maybe he'll be suspended for a week or two. Um, what I find interesting and I want to know more about is Senator Chuck Grassley is investigating, or it says Grassley intensifies probe into anti-Trump bias at the FBI. They say he is stepping up his investigation into liberal bias among FBI agents and Justice Department officials. The Iowa Republican is pressing for documents related to activities of FBI agent Peter Strauch following reports that he demonstrated bias against President Trump while playing key roles in investigations into Hillary Clinton and her email server, as well as Trump campaign's possible ties to Russia. Did, did you know now, that there were over 10,000 text messages between Peter Strzok and uh, Lisa Page? No. 10,000 text messages. Okay, so my question is, is he going to, is, is Grassley going to be able to receive the uh, internal emails, phone communications? What, what, what is it he'll, what evidence or documents will he have access to? Personal or otherwise of the, and who is it going to be? Mueller's uh, communications? Anybody and everybody who's involved? Where? That's a good. That's a good point. This is the the stuff that I want to know. This article what is the scope of the inquiry? Right. They um in this article, it it does say that he is seeking documents from the FBI and from the Justice Department, and that uh, Grassley's office on Wednesday said the FBI had already failed to comply with previous requests calling for records related to the communications of Strauch and others. So what do you do when the FBI is basically uh, in contempt of a, congre- a congressional subpoena? And, and they're going to they're going to be in contempt. They're, I mean, they're destroying the information or editing yep. it out, sure. Uh, yep. And uh, who's scheduled to be uh, on um, uh, testify tomorrow? 
who said he wouldn't be there? Was it, uh, and, and, and all these, all this information is, escapes me. Was it Rosenstein or was it, uh, McCabe? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He already, one of them already said, look, I'm not going to testify. I'm not going to appear. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous. In fact, I've got just a, just a ton of notes here. Um, but, but all of this overlaps. And, so, um, I guess back to Grassley. My yeah. question is, say, he gets the records he's looking for. He right. identifies anti-Trump bias between Mueller and other members who have been involved at the levels of the Clinton and or Trump Russia probe. Right. Then what? Does he have the power? Is it a recommendation thing? What? No, it'd have how- to be a recommendation to the executive branch or, or to the Department of Justice. The same people who are accused of also being biased against Trump. Well, right, and you'd have to have Sessions unrecuse himself, which he <laughs> should do anyway. He recuse himself from the recusal. <laughs> well, yeah, but you, you, yeah, we need somebody in in the Department of Justice who's going to lead. So either Jeff Sessions is going to have to unrecuse himself seriously; he can do that and begin leading and cleaning house or he should resign he, himself well the only other option would be to appoint a, a second special counsel with the with the mandate to clean house in the department of justice and the fbi it's as just well as a mess. The, the, the I mean, special counsel at this point you need to rein the fbi in you need to get these uh and one of the things that that came out about strauk that gained the attention of the the bias was that he was applauding uh, the one oh, yeah. official who was the Obama holdover, Lisa... No, uh, he was applauding Sally Yates. Sally Yates. Yeah. yeah who for, refused to uh, follow Trump's order on his travel ban. And right. he sent, you know, these congratulatory emails or messages, and that's what was uncovered as part of the, the bias they're talking about. But, I mean, sin, how do... What can we do as citizens? If Congress can't get records, if they can't get the information they need, if these House committees can't get the information they need, who is able to to check the power of the FBI and the Department of Justice when they are so corrupt, when they are uh, unhinged and, and gone rogue? Who can rein this back in and, and get this under control? Well, well again, I... I... I must reiterate the fact that it, it must be. I mean, Congress can point this out, and, and they've got a certain amount of authority. However, <laughs> they're too busy voting to impeach Trump. Well, Fifty-eight uh, Democrat, Democrats yeah, voted to impeach yeah, Trump today, and, and that's a nice segue. We can we can talk about that. Uh, this this Al Green, um, what is this? It's really ceremonial, largely ceremonial, oh, or yeah. largely. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's ridiculous when you when you think about this. But make no mistake, the enemies of the people, the enemies of our, of our republic, they are going for the throat when it comes to Donald Trump. And and I mean, look how look how the View reacted. Um, Joy Behar on the View to to the yeah, to the, to fake, the news. fake news, right? And, and this seems to be this vein of, uh, vicious, vile animosity by, by the anti-Trump uh, crowd. And, and I think that we have to, we have to, I think we, we have to take a step back and look what's happening because man, we're, we're seeing this. And this is something we can actually talk with Carl Gallops about. We're seeing this happen. Uh, the divide, the ideological divide just getting so much greater of late. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So the House rejects Trump impeachment after uh, impeachment resolution after Democrat Al Green forces vote. The House representatives overwhelmingly rejected to an attempt to impeach President Trump. 
The lawmakers immediately voted to kill his resolution, 364 voting to table it. In a dramatic speech on the floor, Green called Trump unfit for office and accused him of high misdemeanors, even though he offered no evidence or uh, facts to support his argument. The symbolic vote had been expected to fall in the Republican-controlled House that put some lawmakers in competitive districts in a tough spot by forcing them uh, to go on the record about impeachment. Now, uh, again, they did this, as, as you said, more of a, a symbolic uh, gesture. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders called the effort pathetic, and in a memo to lawmakers, Green didn't allege obstruction of justice or reference to the Russia investigation. Instead, he highlighted Trump's supposed association with white nationalism, neo-Nazism, and hate, as well as inciting hatred and hostility. And these are his offenses My worthy goodness. of impeachment. So the people who are sitting here calling Trump mentally unhinged are the ones who are mentally unhinged. And it is showing. It is showing. Yeah, Did it you is. see, uh, speaking of mentally unhinged, Cecil Richards, the president for Planned Parenthood, uh, calls oh. natural family planning insane. You wouldn't expect the president of Ford to talk up Chrysler models. So you can't expect the head of America's largest abortion provider to give the nod to natural family planning, or rather what she thinks is natural family planning. On Monday, former magazine editor Tina Brown interviewed Planned Parenthood President Cecil Richards at the Woman in the World Texas Salon. During her time on stage, Richard praised birth control and criticized natural family planning, which she incorrectly claimed included rhythm method. From the beginning, Richards described the current administration going after birth control access as extraordinary and crazy, but she also went on to say that the uh, family, the natural though. family planning is completely insane. And, and think about that. This has always been about the attack against the biblical nuclear family. Yep. This is all that this is about. By the way, pray for the people in California in the path of the fires. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk an about eye that. On that as well. Coming back with Carl Gelf. You're listening to the Hagman Report. Stay right where you're at. Network break. Oh, with the last 20 seconds we have. Yeah. Go to HagmanReport.com. I have an article up there on the uh, multiple fires in California burning. And if you open that up, there's links to live feeds of about five to seven different um, instances and, and sites from the local KTLA to CBS Los Angeles. And there you can see uh, also weather forecasts. So there's a lot of information there on Hagman Report. We'll be right back with Carl Gallops after this. Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. I'm getting ahead of myself here. We are going to be joined by Carl Gallops in just a few moments. I want to bring you some quick news updates before we bring him in. The fires in California are uh, growing in size and intensity. It started out on Monday evening with just a, a small fire, less than a thousand acres. I think is the first one was the Thomas Fire, 
and it's up to over a hundred thousand acres all in total now that have burned. You can go to Hagman Report. There are links to um, in the one update post I did update multiple fires in California. There are different posts to live video feeds from different local stations, as well as a weather report showing that they expect high and heavy winds for the next few days until Friday, making the conditions even worse. And John is a California native, and he says that this is a very highly populated area and a a very uh, important part of L.A. that's going to be causing a lot of damage, and a lot of homes are at risk. Also, it's possible that the fire, the one in L.A., had jumped the 405 highway, which is where we saw all those pictures from this morning of the hills burning as people were driving to work taking pictures. There's an interesting article up on Drudge that is from the Daily Mail that shows videos of the, for those fires this morning, but also gives updated uh, maps and other details as to what's going on and, and what is in danger. Also, there was a report that some 30 horses died in one one barn there. Um, uh, pretty sad, but yeah, lots of wildfires in California this year. They said over a million acres have burned in 2017 so far. Yeah, it's it's wow. Could could, could this be? Uh, and I'm asking this question: Could this be? Uh, obviously, we, we see fires, but could could this be in part uh, God's judgment on America? Uh, you, you know, look, uh, many people. You, you've got to ask that question. He, you've got to ask that question. Carl Gallops is, uh, is joining us now. Uh, carlgallops.com. That's carlgallops.com. And folks might remember he was on, uh, I think this is when I was in Missouri. Uh, I was in Branson. I think he was on with Joe and John Robertson. Uh, I've got to tell you, Carl is just uh, a tremendously gifted writer. His latest book, Gods and Thrones. I've got a copy. I've, I've read that, that, that I, it's, wow. Just wow. It's a fantastic read. Now you may remember Carl Gallup's being on talking about, um, in fact, we were just cited in a recent article from a December 2016 appearance Carl Gallup's made, uh, Talking about the with with Mike Zullo, I believe it was talking about the new information regarding the Obama birth documents. Let's bring him back in, uh, Pastor Carl Gallops. Welcome back to the Hagman Report, sir. Thank you so much, Doug and Joe. Thank you for having me. I always look forward to being with you guys. Well, we look forward to having you. And, and thank you so much for writing the book, Gods and Thrones. It's, uh, uh, quite a gift to readers. It's, I got so much out of it. And, um, I, I gotta tell you, I read a lot of books, but yours is, that was one of the finest books I've, I've read. So thank you very much, uh, from the start. Uh, well. Thank you. Thank you for that compliment. God bless you and all glory to the Lord. But thank you, Doug. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unlike any other book I've read. I'll just leave it at that. And, and I would urge everyone to, to grab your, grab yourself a copy of that. Um, Carl, you've got, I think you've got some breaking news or some new revelations concerning the investigation with respect to the, uh, eligibility and allegiance and background and backdrop of Barack Hussein Obama, Mike Zullo, yeah. of course, the cold case policy sheriff of Arpaio, of which you, of which you are a part. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yes, would be glad to, Doug. Um, you know, <laughs> I could, we could do our show on this and how it's all interrelated 
at least in my opinion, and in some ways the opinion of Sheriff Arpaio himself because he said so publicly, and in some ways the opinion of Mike Zullo, how it's all interrelated to what's happening now in our government. The deep state and fusion GPS and the Russian connection and uh, and uh, 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 Perkins Coy Law Firm and Mueller and and Comey and the FBI and the DOJ and it just goes on and on but it really is all interconnected and Mike Zullo just last Friday on my show Freedom Friday with Carl Gallops he um, he exposed for the first time publicly another tidbit of information that goes to the universe shattering information that he had spoken of for, that we have spoken of uh, for several years um, and and he and I uh, and Sheriff Arpaio had been ridiculed for using that sensational term, universe shattering, um, because we couldn't uh, release the details of it back then. And so people were speculating, and when we never got around to releasing the details, uh, we began to be slammed mainly by the left and the Obama bots and the operatives, of course, but even people, you know, well-meaning people on the right who were, they were wanting the information to come out, but since we didn't give any details, they were kind of slamming us, some even calling us uh, deceptive or some even saying we were lying. But, you know, Mike Zullo is not a liar. Sheriff Arpaio is not a liar. I am not a liar. I've spent 10 years in Florida law enforcement with two different sheriff's offices under three different sheriffs for uh, 10 or 11 years. And then I've been in the ministry for 35 years, 31 years as the senior pastor in one church. Uh, do I make mistakes? Yes. Do I misspeak from time to time? Of course. But am I a bald-faced liar, a deceptive person that spends my life uh, deceiving for the sake of some kind of self-aggrandizement? Absolutely not. There's no evidence of that anywhere. And so what Mike Zullo released the other day is just another piece of the puzzle, a piece of evidence. About years ago, we still know what we're talking about, and there's a whole lot more to come. So let me just jump right to it. Uh, what Mike Zullo revealed just the other day was that some years back, in the investigation that Mike Zullo and Sheriff Arpaio, the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, was investigating concerning the legitimacy of this birth document that Barack Obama and his people put on the White House website, in that examination, so many other roads were opened up. Like in any deep criminal investigation, Doug, you know this, when, when, when you're going down the road in a complex investigation, there are going to be other avenues that branch off of it, other pieces of evidence that you follow some trails and leads, and sometimes they don't relate at all, so you come back to the main road, but other times you realize they do. They kind of run parallel to this and then intersect and cross-weave. Right. And so, yeah, so, so a lot of that happened during this five years of their investigation. Um, your audience might remember Sheriff Joe Arpaio deputized me as a special deputy during that process. I was never a, a, a an investigator in that process, never claimed to be. But I was somewhat of a media personality for them, a spokesperson when they allowed me to be. It was also a way of holding me accountable for what I said, <laughs> and it held them accountable for what they were telling me because when I would speak on their behalf, 
Um, I needed to know that what they were telling me was as factual as they knew it. So that's how I was involved with it. And that's why Mike Zulo came on my show. And he said, look, I'm, I'm just going to tell this because it's so apropos now based upon what we're watching happening now that Donald Trump's the president. By the way, your listeners need to remember it was Donald Trump in 2011, 2010, 2011 as a citizen not even announcing he was running for president, who was continually poking his finger in then-President Obama's chest about producing a birth document, That's producing right. a birth document. You remember that. Oh, yeah. And so in April, I think it was April, maybe May, um, of I think it was April of 2011, the document magically appears on the government website after several years of the White House saying, that, they, that Hawaii didn't even produce long-form documents anymore. They couldn't get one. But because Trump kept pushing his finger in his chest, one magically appeared. All right. Now, in the process of that five-year investigation and three public press conferences held, the last one being December 2016, and that's when I was on your show with Mike Zulo, right. a lot of these side trails that started crossing and weaving with the main road came down the pike, some of them being uh, whistleblowers out of government spy agencies, uh, some of it being hard copy evidence of various government agencies that were involved in spying on citizens of the United States, federal judges of the United States, congressmen of the United States, uh, various politicians and important people. Uh, Supreme Court justices, uh, a person by the name of Donald Trump, the Sheriff Arpaio and Mike Zulo had hard copy evidence that uh, government spy agencies were digitally breaching these citizens um, and these judges and congressmen and media personalities. They were breaching their personal lives. And Arpaio and Zulo uh, had evidence of that, and they were speaking about that. I mean, they were they were releasing that information slowly, but just the other day, Mike Zulo released this bombshell. Of course, you know, I've known it for years, and we kind of hinted to it. But here's what he released. And there's so much more other than this. But he released the other day on my show that he has hard copy evidence to prove to a congressional investigation or a federal law enforcement uh, investigation that during the investigation of the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, fourth largest sheriff's office in the nation, on the legitimacy of the birth certificate, that the Hawaii Department of Health had been breached by an entity, and this is what Mike Zulo said, so it's really all I can say right now, by an entity in the Washington, D.C. slash Virginia area, they have hard copy evidence to prove that a Washington, D.C. slash Virginia entity breached digitally the Hawaii Department of Health and specifically the birth certificate documents of one Barack Hussein Obama, or at least the alleged birth certificate documents, and breached it seven times. And, and Mike Zulo possesses that evidence and possesses the evidence that manipulation, digital manipulation, may have taken place. That's that's pretty astounding when you consider the whole picture, Doug. First of all, we've always been told that 
you know, uh, under this whole homeland security thing that happened after 9-11, that, that citizens couldn't be uh, uh, spied upon just randomly. And, right. And, and institutions would not be breached through, uh, you know, computer spy um, uh, digital um, software. And that um, uh, we promise we won't manipulate any elections or anything like that. Well, you know, but now, <laughs> for the last several years prior to Donald Trump going in office, we knew better than that. I mean, sure. I say we, I'm not trying to act like I was a big major investigator, but, but I was a part of that team, and we knew better than that. You told us, were, you told us in that interview, um, and I, cause I, I went back and listened to it, you told us just what you're saying just now. Yeah. Forgive me for the interruption, but, but, no, no. you know, to reaffirm what you're saying. It. Well, and you know what's so shocking about it, Doug, is that Mike Zulu and Sheriff Arpaio have said this in, Public press conferences, and they've offered, you know, we'll we'll bring all this information to you, and not a second. Where's Fox News? I mean, I love Sean Hannity, but where was Sean Hannity? That's right. You know, I love Bill O'Reilly back then, but where was Bill O'Reilly? Where where were all of these Fox News giants back then? That you know, no spin zone, just going to get to the facts. I mean, here's the sheriff of the fourth largest sheriff's office in the nation. Can you imagine? Let's put it like this. Can you imagine if it was announced today? that the Mueller investigation had turned up documents and hard copy evidence that Donald Trump and people working for him had digitally breached the records of Supreme Court justices and congressmen and media personnel and had manipulated documents. And and, and we're going to have a press conference and we're going to show you how we're going to present our evidence. Do you do you think that zero media would show up? Oh no, you, the line the line would be out yeah. the door, obviously. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So so the point being, now we know in this whole Russia uh, investigation, for this sham investigation in which there's not yet not yet one single piece of 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 evidence of forensic evidence that Donald Trump has ever participated with Russia to try to sway the election process. Not one credible witness has come forward with any forensic evidence to indicate that. But in this process, what have we discovered? That the DNC and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and, and, and Mueller and Comey have all been either directly or indirectly involved with Fusion GPS, the sale of uranium to Russia, uh, Perkins Coy. Now yep. you probably will recognize that. Perkins Coy is the agency, the law firm that handled the birth certificate document and delivered it to the White House and handled the defense of that birth certificate for Barack Obama. So, see, Doug, I, I'm just telling you, it's my opinion. See, I know so much fact. I have to be careful what I say because if it hasn't been released, I can't say it yet. <laughs> but I also have opinions, and my opinions may or may not be based upon other facts I know, but, but it, it, in my opinion... All of this is tied together. Sure. It is. In other words, 
In other words, listen, Sheriff Joe Arpaio has said this. He's convinced that the whole federal investigation on him about, you know, the the border defense and targeting or profiling uh, illegal immigrants, and they took him to federal court, and they found him guilty not necessarily of that, but of contempt of court, and uh, they were going to put him in jail until Trump pardoned him. And, and, and Sheriff Arpaio said way back, even before they found him guilty, he said, Carl, and he said this on the news. I heard him say it on Fox News, but he said it to me in his office. I, I've been in his office hours at the time, several different times. He said, Carl, this is all about the birth certificate. He said, they're trying to marginalize me. They want me in handcuffs and behind bars so that w if we were to come forward with everything we have and if somebody was to listen to us finally, they could say, well, look, look at that thug. Look at that criminal with the pink uh, outfit on and the handcuffs and the bars. That's who... That's who you're going to believe? See, that's what they were trying to do, Doug. And I'm telling you, think about it. So who was it that poked him in the chest to get it up there in 2011? Donald Trump. Who was it that won the election that wasn't supposed to win the election? Donald Trump. What did Donald Trump do? Fire James Comey. Put a new DOJ in. Uh, 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 that's correct. It, yeah, a, a, attorney. Right. Attorney general is the word I'm looking for. In uh, Who's in the process of draining the swamp. Who's appointing Supreme Court judges and federal court judges. Who today just named Israel as the capital and the embassy of, of the United States Embassy of, of Israel, or Jerusalem. And so, I mean, th this guy, he is now in the White House. He now holds the power. He now holds the reins. In the meantime, they were feverishly trying to get... Sheriff Arpaio in jail to shut this thing down. And then Donald Trump pardons Sheriff Arpaio. So their heads are about to explode, Doug. And that's one of the reasons why Mike Zullo came out and said, I'll throw another piece of meat to the dogs. You know, this I'll let amazing. them know something else we know. So anyway, but I can promise you that is a part of the earth shattering information because that is earth shattering. But it's only one part. There's much more to come. And I don't know this for a fact, but I'm convinced that Donald Trump is probably getting his ducks in a row to bring this to the forefront as well. Number one, because he talked about the birth certificate again just the other day. It was in the mainstream mm -hmm. media. Yes, they went did. crazy. Yep. They did and number crazy. two, number two, he's the one that got it put up there. Number three, they trashed him during the election process over the birth certificate thing so he said what he had to say so he could keep running and get elected but now all of these sham investigations they have going on on him there is no evidence that he did anything with Russia to sway our election but they just I'm telling you it's all a big smoke screen and shots across his bow to say, don't you touch this birth certificate. Because here's the bottom line, Doug. The birth certificate is a fabricated fake. There are five felonies associated with that. That's right. Now, that's the only identifying document we've ever seen on this man. So if the reason they had to fabricate it is because they don't have one, that means we had an illegal citizen, maybe an illegal alien, and this has never been a birther issue with me or Zulo or Arpaio. It's been about the birth certificate. But I'm saying let's take it one step further. What if there is no birth certificate? Legitimate one. Hmm. What, what, you know. So 
So that means our commander-in-chief for eight years was operating off of illegal and phony identification, five felonies involved with that. Um, right. what, I mean, so, so this is huge. This in and of itself is earth-shattering. And I'm convinced the deep state knows it. Co- listen, congressmen have been compromised. The media, Mike Zulu has said many times, they have affidavits from big mainstream media people. They signed them and they swore to them, and Mike Zulu has them. They said early on, when this whole birth certificate thing started, they wanted to report on it, but they were visited by Obama operatives and threatened. Mike Zulu has has affidavits to that. You So, I mean, courts have been shut down. Media was shut down. Congressmen were compromised. Listen, my own con- congressman, District 1, State of Florida, Jeff Miller, back in the day, he was on the Intel Committee. Mike Zulo and I flew to Washington, D.C., sat down in the Capitol building in the rotunda with him and his chief of staff. Mike Zulo pulled out his briefcase, showed him what we had back then, and that was, I don't remember the date, 2014 maybe, something like that, 2013. And right. he And he showed him then what we had, which was astounding. Jeff Miller's eyes got that big. He said, oh, my gosh. He said, I'm on the Intel Committee. Can I get this and take it to the Intel Committee? And Zulo said, absolutely. That's what we want. Now, remember, Obama was still president. John Boehner was the Speaker of the House. Right. And my congressman said, okay. And he looked at me across the table. He said, Carl, can you get Zulo to meet with me in my home office? I'll be home in just a few weeks. We need to get this out of Washington. He said, "I, I, I, I I shouldn't do this here in Washington. Let's get it there. So we can talk and we can unpackage this thing. I said, absolutely. So Mike Zulo and I flew. Mike Zulo made car, uh, rented a car, rented a motel room, bought airplane, airline tickets. I was doing my part back at home and making all those arrangements. Three or four days into the process, I was getting emails from Jeff Miller's office about, yeah, we're looking forward to the meeting, et cetera, et cetera, and we'll see you then and can't wait to see you, and I'm looking forward to this. And then about four days later, I got a phone call from Jeff Miller's chief of staff who called me on my phone. My wife was sitting in my office. She overheard my part of the conversation. And this guy, his chief of staff, said to me, Carl, you know that meeting that you're waiting on with Jeff Miller? I said, yeah. He said, we don't remember any conversation about that. Oh. The meeting's not going to take place. It was so surreal. I thought he was joking, and I laughed. And he said, I'm serious. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How can you be calling me about a meeting that you don't remember? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I possess a chain of emails from you and your booking secretary telling me how excited Jeff Miller was to come see us and how he couldn't wait to be in that meeting. Yet today you call me to tell me that the meeting we planned will not be held because you don't remember ever talking about the meeting. Brother, that's how nasty this thing got. I'm convinced that he probably went to John Boehner, you know, uh, uh, naively because he saw the evidence. And he... Boehner and somehow it got squashed and so this is the deep state this is what's going on Doug does that make sense it makes perfect sense and and uh, we only have about two minutes left of of, uh, our time together I want to thank you so much and and thank Mike Zullo as well for keeping on this this has current day national security implications 
Yes. And, and uh, we have to keep pressing for answers. And, and this goes all the way back to, don't forget, um, uh, it was August, I believe, of 2005, Obama being a member of the Luger delegation for nuclear disarmament being stopped in Perm, Siberia, by the Russians. Oh, and his passport was, um, his identification papers were looked through. Three-hour uh, diplomatic uh, uh, d- d- brouhaha there. I believe th- that was one of the first indications of a problem. And you have brought out so many things. This this information here about perhaps, um, well, I'll say it, perhaps CIA, that's my words, of course, not yours, but uh, perhaps intelligence agency involvement here in a breach seven times. That's 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 incredible. And um, per- perhaps digital manipulation of the document inside that uh, uh, computer is what you're saying as well. Yeah, and and all we are saying is an entity, and right. and you suggested one. There are many right. possibilities, and and we know, of course, the entity of which we're speaking of. And so I I can't say yes or Understood. no because I don't want to appear to be going down and eliminating from a list. But but you're entitled to your guesses, and so but yeah, no, the 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 breaching, the encroaching, and the contact with those documents and possible manipulation. Uh, yeah, and that was one of the things that, uh, well, that was the thing, the main thing that Mike Zullo, uh just revealed the other day. And again, based upon all I know, and I don't know everything. I mean, they're not obligated to tell me everything they know, uh, and Mike Zulo doesn't. And a lot of that is for protection purposes, for me and for him. Right. Uh, but, but of the things I know, I know that that one thing that he revealed the other day is just one of many like it. That's amazing. And, of course, on your radio program, you broke this information, uh, Freedom Friday's Carl Gallops. Thank you so very much for appearing, taking your time out to to tell our audience exactly what you did. We're going to keep following this story. We're going to keep following you. Um, incredible investigative work on your uh, you and uh, Mike Zulo and, of course, the Cold Case Posse. Thank you, Carl Gallops. Thank you so Thank very you. much. Thank you, Doug Hagman. God bless you guys. All right, sir. God bless you, too. Man, that was fantastic, Joe. Uh, Absolutely incredible information. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. Please pass this segment along to everyone you know, because this has current-day national security implications. And will the president address it when the information comes out? That will be something to watch for. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Lori Lowenthal Marcus after this. She's a journalist with American Thinker. Don't go anywhere. edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by a journalist from the American Thinker, Lori Lowenthal Marcus, in just a few moments. Again, we uh, just were joined by Carl Gallops, who told us some interesting news about the Obama birth certificate investigation that they've launched. And we have the huge news of the day, Trump recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And uh, what you said earlier, in 1995, the Congress passed uh, a bill that uh, basically states all presidents recognize Jerusalem as the capital, but they sign a waiver every six months to uh, never really implement that change. 
and now Trump is implementing the change, and it is drawing huge backlash from the media here and people all across the world. And what's interesting to me is, uh, you know, they're saying that this is going to set the world on fire. Trump's move to to move the capital from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem is going to set the world on fire. But they didn't say that when Obama was launching the Arab Spring, you know, destabilizing nation after nation after oh, nation. That was in an the organic movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we see the hypocrisy there, and we're going to get into the uh, embassy and uh, Israel more with our guest Lori Lewenthal Marcus in just a few moments. Yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to hear what she's got to say. Let me ask you a question. Are you enthused about going to the mall or going shopping for a Christmas present this year? Are you just psyched up about it? Hey, the holidays are fast approaching, right? You don't have to ever leave your house. I have got the perfect gift for that hard-to-buy person or that very special person or even for yourself, omahasteaks.com. That's right. Give the gift of fantastic aged beef. Oh, my goodness. Think about this. Think about this. It could be snowing out. It doesn't matter. Put a filet mignon on the grill, on a charcoal grill, and can you can you smell it? Can you can you just taste that that perfectly aged beef. Oh, there's nothing like a good steak. Have it for yourself or give it to that special someone in your lives. Go to Omaha Steaks. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for under $50, for only $49.99, you can get my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar. That's 75% off. Now, in addition to that, they offer over 500 gourmet gift ideas, great steak experiences at home. You don't have to go out. They've got seafood, poultry, pork, veal, lamb, veggies, desserts, appetizers, pasta, soups, everything. You could spend a long time just perusing their website. Their beef is aged over 21 days to unlock the full flavors of the cuts, and they're all hand trimmed and vacuum sealed. And it's so it's great to get it because it comes to your door in this this uh, uh, insulated, self refrigerated box, if you will. And I, I I love the just hey, I just walk out, pick up the box, bring it in, and there it is. There there's there are my steaks right there. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings just to you, the listeners of the Hagman Report. Listen to everything that you will get for under $50. Are you ready? Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four steak burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel caramel apple tartlets and we do have uh, wrestling matches in studio between John the producer and uh, Eric the tech over the caramel apple tartlets and four kielbasa sausages plus plus listen to this you'll get an additional four kielbasa sausages free and of course the favorite oh the steaks uh, seasoning packet it's just fantastic how do you, how do you get all this Simple. Go to omahasteaks.com. That's omahasteaks.com. Enter HH in the search bar, and you know what comes up? The My Family Gift Pack. That's right. omahasteaks.com. HH in the search bar. My Family Gift Pack. And, 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 hey, look, there's so many things you can choose from that while you're there. Give the gift of food. Give the gift of great food. Give, give this gift to that person who's hard to buy for, and while you're at it, 
make sure you get one for yourself. OmahaStakes.com, HH in the search bar. So many things going on, Joe, especially with uh, with Jerusalem and with the Mideast. And yeah, this is this is the timetable, isn't it? I think I think that um, this is this is God's timetable. Well, we're going to get into that now with our guest Lori Lowenthal Marcus. And uh, Lori was a litigator in a major Philadelphia law firm before teaching in area law and graduate schools on various topics, including First Amendment law and law and social policy. Marcus is a member of the Israel Advocacy Task Force of the Greater Philadelphia Federation of Israeli of Israel Campus Initiative and of Israel Campus Coalition, and is on the board of the Philadelphia Hillel. And Marcus writes about Middle East policy and has been published in various local, national, and international media. She's also earned a, a JD from Harvard University, a master's law in social policy, and master's in policy and program development from Byron Byron Bryn, Mar? Bryn, Bryn Mar. Bryn Mar. Okay. Yeah, Bryn Mar. And uh, uh, we we have Lori. She, 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 so she just yeah. dropped off. We're going to get she her. She right has back. got a resume that goes out the door. <laughs> I'm going to tell you extensive uh, uh, bio there. Yeah, and and, and she, she's very well known. Um, and, and of course, as you stated, she writes for American Thinker. So yeah. Um, but but one of the issues, the key issues here that coming out the door, we've got to ask her about uh, President Trump's announcement today with respect to the. U.S. Embassy, Jerusalem, and now, now she's given so many seminars. She's given uh, sometimes spoken to hundreds of people in in the same room, uh, or yeah, she's as done few as half a dozen people. You know, on on law, she's done them on on sexual oh, harassment. Yep, yep. And she's got an article that we're going to get into the big law firm casting couch, oh, where she details yeah. her own accounts uh, and her own history in the world of uh, sexual harassment. Yeah, but she also uses that experience to teach and inform others on how to handle and deal with situations like this. I mean, we want to give a special thanks to Thomas Lifson at American Thinker. Thank you, Tom, uh, very much. Thank you, Thomas Lifson, American Thinker, uh, for putting together a great cadre of writers, authors, uh, including our own Peter Chauka, which, by the way, if you haven't done so already, uh, check his article out again, or if you haven't done, I'm sorry, if you haven't done so already, check his article out on Hagman Report. Now it's down at the bottom of the page, but there it is, exclusive impeaching Nixon versus taking down Donald Trump. Eric, just give us a, give us a thumbs up when we have our guest. I Okay, we think we do. So, let's bring her on. Lori, uh, are you there? All right, we're not hearing anything at the at the moment here. All right, no, we're not. We'll we'll get it figured. Lori Lowenthal Marcus, again a litigator in a major Philadelphia law firm, before teaching in area law, and a resume that goes out the door. And of course, talking about Jerusalem, and this is big news, in at least in my view. How many of all of our past presidents have had the Courage to do what Donald Trump has done, and and I think it takes a, a, a fair amount of courage yeah. to stand up and say, "Look, uh, we respect you." And, and can you imagine any other nation telling the United States, "Well, we're not going to recognize D.C. as your capital. We're going to recognize New York City, and that's where we're going to put our embassy, keep our embassy." Well, and, see, uh, the heck with you. It is a big deal, but at the same time, it's not. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. 
Uh, Jerusalem historically has been the capital of Israel all the way back to, you know, biblical times in the Old right. Testament. And, you know, we know that this, this, the uh, media, how rabid, how rabid anti-Trump they are and any and everything that he does, they come against them anyway. So this is no different. Uh, I mean, literally he could appoint Hillary Clinton to be the vice president and they'd probably find something wrong with him for doing that. But I mean, their, their, their response to this is, is always insane. What's really interesting is to see the response from other uh, world leaders and specifically what we talked about earlier, the Pope and uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu. It's interesting to see where they stand on this. But I think we do have our guest, Lori Lowenthal Marcus. Welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you so much for having me. We are Man, being told by, by our technician that we got you on audio, but we don't have your video queued up. Hmm. So, so I'm not sure if we can if we can get that yeah, figured out, but no, we can move ahead either way. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, there, there's a video camera with a line through it, perhaps. Does that work? Let's see. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. All right. Okay. All right. There we go. Well, thank you so much for, for appearing on our show. Um, we, we have so much to get into. We we'll want to tap into your expertise, your knowledge about, about the announcement today. What are your thoughts? I mean, what... Um, what I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I'll, let me ask you this: What questions should we be asking, and what should be what should we be focused on with respect to this particular announcement? Well, I think that you should be watching what happens in the Arab world, but you need to keep in mind that across the Arab world there is going to be condemnation. What will be very interesting to see is what kind of response they have directly to President Trump, if there is any cutting of ties with President Trump. My guess is that although even Saudi Arabia will condemn uh, President Trump's statement, there will actually be uh, a degree of uh, complacency and lack of surprise and an agreement that in fact this announcement is long overdue. Now there will be rioting, no doubt, in lots of other Arab countries, but you know, it takes very little to set them off. And for far too long, the United States government has been complying with and appeasing the terrorists. If someone threatens to uh, take some bad action, if you do something, and you continue to take bad action whether or not you do something. President Trump was exactly right. They need, they need to be punished. The terrorism needs to be punished. And by saying, okay, for so many years, for over 20 years, we refrain from taking this important action. And now, because of your misbehavior, we are taking this uh, unilaterally. We are going to, despite your uh, your threats, we are going to take this step forward. And unless you come to the table and stop making threats, you will continue to be displeased. So uh, it's important to watch what happens, but not just pay attention to what's said, but see what actually happens, see what actions people actually take. If President Abbas, for example, or the, I shouldn't call him president, 
He's um, served more than 11 years of four-year term, so the the acting leader of the Palestinian Authority. If he cuts off relations, as he threatened to do with the United States, he really will be cutting off his own, not just the hand that feeds him, but the in, the spigot that pours funds into his coffers and those of his people. Well, exactly, and I find it interesting. It's being reported in, in the Daily Mirror, for example, that a boss is stating that the United States, by doing by making this announcement, is actually withdrawing from the peace process. <laughs> I found that I found that that statement to be a little bit absurd, actually. But okay. And Lori, what you said in the in the beginning that you know Trump's action in in recognizing Jerusalem of the capital is going to draw violence from the other side, and the media painting this as a reason not to do this. It's the same mentality they have when. Um, you know, terrorism is called out for being radical Islamic terrorists. Then you see the media saying, "Well, don't call it that. You're going to inspire more attacks." I mean, it's right, crazy. right. Thereby proving the point. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, my guess is that we will see. You know, they've called. First of all, who calls for three days of rage? If you have rage, you express it. You don't have a limit on it. And also, you know, do you have any idea how many days of rage we have had over all kinds of things? I don't think there's going to be anything different. And we haven't had peace. What kind of peace process is going to be thwarted? We don't have a peace process. That's a great point. And that's why I love your writing style, too, by the way. You make some very good points. Uh, Yeah, we'll have three days of rage. And then what? What peace after that? But <laughs> I'll tell you if I can tell you a quick story. Sure. I lived in Israel a few years ago for uh, most of a year, and there was one of these perpetual, you know, days of rage. Jerusalem into the old city and see what happens on a day of rage. But that day it was raining, so we had a day of rain and no one showed up. <laughs> I mean, it's really there are such hollow statements. Man, I'll tell you exactly. Well, well, okay. If you don't mind, um, treat me like a, a, um, a, a an elementary school student. Historically, explain to me historically the uh, just briefly the um, the, um, um, the the history of Jerusalem being the capital of Israel and the political aspect from the 1948 declaration of uh, statehood to the present just kind of give me a kind of a cliff notes version if you don't mind uh, for our audience as well Uh, just so we're just so we know that we're all on the same page in in terms of the the backdrop of what we're witnessing today okay well if you want to start with 1948 of course we're cutting off thousands of years of history of of the Jewish connection to Jerusalem and uh, you know of course King David um, founded Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish people. Um, but in 1948, there was, uh, the U- United Nations then said that there, this was the first two-state solution. There was going to be two states and part of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem at that time was divided by the international community and part of Jerusalem was going to be given to the Arabs and the other part what we now call the western part of Jerusalem was to be given to the Jewish people. But of course, um, the Arab peoples never accepted the division because they didn't want the Jewish people to be entitled to any part 
uh, actually of the entire region, not just Jerusalem. So there was a war of independence, and um, there was eventually uh, an armistice, and then um, the Jewish people did accept their territory, um, begrudgingly, of course, but look, they were thrilled to have a state and thrilled to have at least access to some of Jerusalem. And fast forward to 1967, when there was the attack by, well, first of all, there was um, the fight between Egypt and Israel, and the other Arab nations, um, Jordan in particular and Syria, decided to come in with the Egyptians. The Egyptians said, oh, uh, we're winning the war, come on in and you'll get great pieces of this territory. Um, and the eastern part of Jerusalem is uh, where Jordan was, and frankly, illegally occupying. They had never been granted sovereignty in that important. area. That's a very important point, too. I think a lot it's of people very, miss that. Okay, go ahead. Yes, that's a very important point. And, and we should mention, perhaps, that the Jordanians, when they had control over uh, the Temple Mount and the, the parts of the old, all of the old city and the parts of eastern Jerusalem, they didn't allow Jews or Christians to worship uh, as they wanted, and, and the Jordanians also took the Mount of Olives, one of the most ancient and most holy cemeteries in history in the world, uh, and used the Jewish gravestones for latrines and, and um, things like that. So they were not good caretakers. Uh, in 1967, to get back to where we were in the narrative, uh, the Jordanians and the Syrians did come in with the Egyptians, although the Egyptians were actually crushed. The Egyptian Air Force was crushed by tiny, tiny Israel. Uh, and the Prime Minister and the Israeli government begged the Jordanians not to engage. The Israelis promised the Jordanians that there would be no attack on them if the Jordanians refrained from attacking Israel. The Jordanians did not refrain. They came in and attacked uh, the Jewish state. The Jews beat back, the Israelis, I should say, beat back both the Jordanians uh, and took control of territory as far out as what people, well, it's Judea and Samaria, people frequently refer to that as the West Bank. Um, but the Jewish state conquered that area in a defensive war. They conquered that territory from a non-sovereign and the same thing happened up in the Golan Heights when Syria attacked the Jewish state at the same time that Israel was fighting against Egypt and Jordan, and Israel uh, gained territory, specifically the Golan Heights, uh, from Syria. So that's where the status was <clears throat> Excuse me, when there was a cessation of hostilities. And... For some strange reason, the territory that the Jewish state had acquired, once again in a defensive war uh, from non-sovereigns, was treated as occupied by Israel. And so when we call, uh, when people call, not me, but others, uh, and most of the mainstream media, of course, of course call uh, the Judea and Samaria as occupied uh, territory or occupied Palestinian territory, occupied, of course, by the Jewish state, they're talking about um, something that is simply not accurate. It's a false of narrative. It's a false, 
false de- depiction, false narrative, false description. Exactly. And of course, so the old city and the area that we're talking about today, the big change that President Trump has announced, of course, the Jewish state, the Israelis are saying, you know, well, of course, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. But uh, the United States, particularly um, in the past, during the past administration, Israel was a nation without a capital and Jerusalem was a city without a home. So the statement by President Trump is huge. Fantastic. And thank you for that backdrop. I, I think a, a lot of people have to contextualize how we got here. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so the, the significance cannot be, I don't think, can be understated. Um, yeah. Right, Joe. And, uh, you know, many of the, the critics of this are, are saying that, you know, Trump is undoing decades-long uh, work of, of putting together this peace process when in reality they're they're no closer to a, a peace process now than they ever were and keeping the embassy in Tel Aviv certainly was not um, and recognizing Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv as the capital was certainly not furthering that goal. After the dust settles from this move, do you see the two sides coming together for a, a peace deal? Many people speculate because Trump you know, is the author of the art of the deal and is known for his deal-making abilities that he would be the president to usher in a a peace deal um do you believe do you see that in the future i i don't i don't see uh peace coming anytime soon to uh the region and i say that with great sadness i'm in israel a lot and i have lost friends to the terrorism and to the wars and uh, as have so many uh others but I'll, I'll tell you, these people have been educated for terrorism, and they have hatred inculcated generation after generation. And until that is addressed, we're not going to have peace. I actually met with a young man who is a Palestinian Muslim uh, who lives in, to his great despair, in what is called a refugee camp. And... Uh, he told me, I was there uh, several months ago, and he told me that they are taught that everything that's wrong with their lives is the fault of the Israelis. And his eyes were slowly opened, mostly because he began to do research about the corruption of the Palestinian Authority and to see the homes of some of the leadership, the lavish homes, and realizing that he and his family for generations now have been living in squalor, and it isn't the fault of the Israelis, it's the fault of their own leadership. And until we get people like him to share this information and help others of his generation open their eyes, we're not going to have peace. But I'll tell you what we are going to have. We're not going to have a continuation of the appeasement of terror. And so something may change if only because there will be, I imagine, there will eventually be a revolution by the Palestinian Arabs whose lives are miserable because of the oppression by their own leadership. That's what's going to bring change. Interesting. And and that's, okay. And I think that's important for people to, to, to understand as well the growing discontent in the realization of what the 
what the real oppression is, and it's not coming from Israel. It's coming from the leadership of the Palestinians against their own That's people. That's correct. Okay. That I, I firmly, firmly believe that. I, I if I can well. just tell you, if I can just give you um, a, a hint of my own, my own view, a theory that I have. Sure. That is, if you listen to people talk about the end of the peace process and the end of peace and furthering peace and what is shutting the window on peace discussions, what they really mean by peace is a Palestinian state. They don't mean peace. And for too long, what has been called a peace process has had as its goal, its end goal, a Palestinian state rather than peace. And a Palestinian state without infrastructure and leadership and democracy and education and, for heaven's sake, irrigation and all the other things that countries need to survive until those things happen, there isn't going to be peace. And to create a Palestinian state before uh, they are ready is going to doom everyone in the region. Interesting. So watch that. Peace take. means Palestinian state. Just watch mm. when you hear it from the leftists. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I've been saying this that you know this political correct movement that we see and and how the media is uh, you know with this social justice ideology that their anti-Semitism is really going to shine forth when talking about Jerusalem and and Israel and these issues. And I know that they they can't contain it; it's going to come out. But it's I think it's really going to show their their hypocrisy. And again, when they're siding with terrorists, and you know every day that we see terrorist attacks and they're siding with the Palestinians. It's it's not a far leap to see, uh, you know, how they're they're going to become un, unhinged about this. And um, it, it's just amazing to me that how far gone the media in this country is. But anyway, yeah. But yep. no, no, if I may, there's going to be a meeting of the UN Security Council this coming Friday, um, at the request of eight states, uh, the 15 member. Um, body over the uh, over this decision any thoughts on what's going to take place then uh, during this uh, during this meeting well all i can say is thank goodness we have nikki haley in the un because she is one tough fabulous <laughs> rock hard lady who is going to not take any reprimands sitting down i'm sure that there will be widespread criticism we know that the uh, Organization of Islamic States has great, great control over the United Nations. They are a majority in the United Nations, and that is a reason, the reason why we see Israel as consistently the one nation that is condemned repeatedly, the one nation where there are Security Council hearings to condemn uh, it's self-defense against terrorism. So I'm sure that we will see more of the same. We will see harsh condemnations. We'll see how far they go, though, because President Trump has already uh, threatened to remove funding. You know, the United States provides more than 24% of the funding for both the United Nations and its organization, its um, subsidiary organizations. And so that's a big stick to hit back with. So we'll see what he's going to do. I don't know, but I'm sure this was anticipated, and they are prepared. Okay, you know it's it's interesting to think it was what a year ago, uh, right about this time when Obama 
uh, under Obama, the U.S. abstained at the uh, uh, the the UN vote, and, and I'm trying to remember that was a, an abstention with respect to the uh, settlements, I believe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the occupation. Wow, what what a what a what a, a whiplash of foreign policy! It, it's just it's an it's amazing to think at the at the stark differences between Obama then a year ago and President Donald Trump now. Well, one thing you can't say about Trump is that he doesn't keep his promises. Obama promised to do this. Bush promised to do this. Trump has also promised to do this, but he is the one to follow through with it. Yeah. So. Yes, the him. the law passed in in 1995, and right. every president since then has signed the waiver and not recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh, president Trump both uh, recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and said that he has begun the process. Uh, and in fact, Secretary of State, who has not always been the best friend of Israel, but he, um, Secretary of State Tillerson, also said that the process has begun to move the embassy. Wow. That the process is underway. And um, yeah. it'll be interesting to see Amazing. the response now from uh, people on the ground from other, other nations, as well as uh, people also here in the United States. Everybody's got their opinion, and, and they want to... You know, I'll tear down Trump, so I'm sure we won't have any shortage in the next two days of of topics uh, relating to this. Our our, our guest is Lori uh, Lowenthal Marcus. Uh, If you don't mind, tell people where they can find your work, obviously, at American Thinker. If you've got any social networks, Twitter, Facebook, uh, just please give them out. Right. Well, on Facebook, it's Lori Lowenthal Marcus, and I post pretty much what I'm thinking about, what I'm reading, uh, and what I'm writing on my Facebook page. So that's the, the go-to source um, for what I'm writing and thinking about. I'm also on Twitter at Lori L. Marcus. Uh, and I have written a, for four years. I wrote just about six days a week at thejewishpress.com. So that's another place to look for my writing. Fantastic, and, and your work is is fabulous as well at American Thinker. Uh, we do follow your articles, read your articles, and uh, find them informative and spot on. Obviously, the latest being uh, the big law firm casting <laughs> couch, and this is oh, in yeah. wake of all the sexual harassment, misconduct, and assault allegations that are plaguing the world of politics, media. And entertainment. Oh man! I, I asked Joe, and I read this. Am I reading this right? I, I, wow. Okay, go ahead, Joe. And <laughs> it's interesting, Lori, because you not only uh, talk about your own experience you've had with se- sexual harassment in the workplace, but you also uh, you speak at universities and at seminars, giving people insight as to how to deal with sexual harassment in the workplace and in schools and in other professional settings. That's right. I as after my experience, which was um, pretty awful, but my response to my experience was to learn everything I could about sexual harassment, and I became such an expert that I began giving seminars to major companies, small companies all across the country, and then I began to even do investigations into sexual harassment complaints. This was my response to my trauma. I took control and uh, understood the law and how it works better than anyone else so that um, I felt in control. And um, one thing that's really important, and I, and I heard it all the time when I used to fly around the country giving these 
seminars. I would tell someone what I was doing, and invariably, if I was sitting next to a man, the man would say, oh, well, you can't even say a woman looks pretty anymore or, or that she's, um, she's nice. And, and that's just not true, uh, even if the woman, um, particularly now that we have all these so- snowflakes, even if the woman feels uncomfortable with your statements, that does not make out a claim of sexual harassment. So this is, um, as a former practicing lawyer, this is the one area of the law that I can say with confidence the incentives are really set up in the right places to make people do the right thing. The problem is that peop- that companies are rarely forced to follow the right policies, uh, and that's their downfall because without them, they don't have a defense, and that's what we're seeing all over all these companies. Excuse me. No are worries. losing. Yeah. I, 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 that happens to me all the time when I'm yeah, on that happens here constantly. constantly. <laughs> so on sorry. The programs. Oh. No worries. I I saw a study uh, earlier this week that um, it was about millennials surveyed about what they felt was equal to sexual harassment or what was sexual harassment. And it it found, I think it was 65% said things like uh, a man asking a woman out for a drink or telling a woman that she looks pretty was sexual harassment. And they they were explaining, the article was explaining just what you were talking about, that... um, you know there there is this uh line that um people are drawing that even it's not sexual harassment but they're they're trying to claim it is and i don't know if it's part of this kind of victim mentality that we have but we've had these issues in the workplace and 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 for so long yet it it was kind of swept under the rug now we're seeing this over explosion of exposure of it mm-hmm. and it, it's like this hypersensitivity to it and you know people uh, you know due process is being thrown out uh, we mm-hmm. just see with, you know, Al Franken, obviously, he even admitted to being guilty, but, uh, we're seeing women come out and make accusations, and then these mad dashes of well, people call calling guilty. for, for, uh, resignations without, you know, proof, or, I mean, how do we untangle all this, and how do we, how do we weed through this while, and continuing to do the right thing? Well, it depends what you mean by we, because employers have an obligation to act, and, in fact, they have an obligation to act even if the person who is allegedly sexually harassed doesn't want their employer to take any action. They, the company has to. Uh, and so they need to be vigilant about bad behavior, really bad behavior. But if they look into a problem quickly and resolve the issue, then it doesn't constitute sexual harassment. It's really hard. I mean, particularly... Let me back up for a second. There are two different kinds of sexual harassment. One is called quid pro quo, and that's when someone in a position of authority either threatens to withhold some something that an employee is entitled to or to reward the employee if they will engage in some sexual activity. That's quid pro, quid pro quo. And that's pretty straightforward if you can prove it. The other one, the more common kind, is hostile work environment. And there has to be a pattern. There has to be really egregious behavior over time that uh, would constitute sexual harassment so that if a company hears that someone is telling, you know, really off-color jokes or making uh, fellow workers uncomfortable 
uh, and perhaps uh, following an employee home or something like that, then the company has to take action. Once they respond and start taking action, then they have a defense. Um, the Another problem, of course, is what about those who are being accused? And I'm having a little bit of a hard time feeling real sorry for some of these men where there are pictures of the man, you know, groping an, a sleeping woman, for example, in the case of Al Franken. You know, I'm sorry. That is really inappropriate behavior. And we have proof. We know you did this. So um, due process for him, I think, you know, once there's proof, it, it's they're less of um, less, you know, liable to incur uh, some sort of leeway. But for others, you do need to do the investigations. And my guess is, and as we're hearing now, particularly with someone like Matt Lauer, you know, he was fired as we heard peremptorily. He, we, we heard the announcement, and he was gone that day. What about due process? Well, it turns out, as we now know, that NBC knew about his behavior. In fact, they laughed about it. There was a roast of Matt Lauer where people told all kinds of stories about his bad behavior, and this was several years ago. So, um, again, this is the employer covering their own rear end. They're not acting, you know, in a way that, um, oh, my goodness, someone complained about our star and that we're going to just fire them. No, uh, they knew and should have acted before. And my guess is that they will suffer some liability. Someone's going to come forward because they were in a position to um, be required to protect their employees, and they didn't. Very well stated. And that's something, I, I mean, you just clarified a few things for me in the, the, the past uh, few minutes even though most be, I, I, the clarification was necessary, I think, uh, from the from the two types of sexual harassment going back a little bit in the conversation to mm-hmm. what you just stated now. So thank you for that. By the way, our guest is Lori Lorenthal Marcus. Follow her on Twitter at uh, at Lori L Marcus on Twitter. I just just now followed her, and I'm I, I'm anxious to see what she's got to write uh, henceforth, and I'll be going through her Twitter feed, but at L'Oreal Marcus on Twitter, uh, and of course her Facebook as well. Now, I want to jump in here with um, something that you have in your article, The Big Law Firm Casting Couch, where we see that a lot of these sexual harassment allegations um, and, and sexual assault allegations um, unless it's in the the uh, statute of, of limitations, most uh, of the at least the assault are not going to be carried out uh, any justice in the court of law. But you talk about a, a litigation in your article here about other women who you worked with who you used your story of sexual harassment to gain money for themselves. Can you explain that a little bit? Uh, when I had my experience at the law firm where I worked, um, it was sexual harassment, but I went to the partner the next morning, and I told that partner that if he ever does anything like that again, I was going to report him, and if he never does, then that this is the end of the story. 
Now, I did tell one or two other women in the firm about what happened. And in part, it was because it was around the same time as the whole Clarence Thomas hearings. And so there was a lot of discussion about sexual harassment. And some of my um, colleagues had said, well, if any man ever did that to me, I will report them immediately. And, you know, I tried to explain, you know, it's easy to say that you you would be very brave in a traumatic situation, but unless you've been in it, you don't know. Anyway, a few months later, uh, a number of women at the firm where I worked, I think it was 11 women, were fired, uh, were let go. And it wasn't, I don't think it was because they were, they had done anything in particular wrong. I think they just were downsizing. But almost all of the people fired or let go were women. So the women, those women who were fired, uh, apparently, as I later learned, went to a lawyer uh, and decided to sue the firm for sex discrimination. It wasn't about sexual harassment. It was about sex discrimination. But they put in to show uh, bad feelings and bad behavior on the part of the law firm towards women, they put in uh, a description of what had happened to me, never asking me if that was okay. And, of course, they were using this because uh, they were trying to get a settlement from the firm, which they did get. They got money from the firm uh so they didn't have to go to court. They did file a complaint, though. Uh, and I was told by one of the partners in the law firm that the description of what happened to me was the, quote, juiciest thing in the complaint. So, I mean, I felt I was really hurt by that and angry that my tragedy was used by others for monetary gain. Right. Uh, and the reason I put that anecdote in this particular article is that when I was writing the article, it was after the initial Harvey Weinstein stories had come out, Hmm. uh, and I began to see um, on Twitter and elsewhere in social media, uh, some people saying, oh, well, this is all about white men, white men taking advantage of everybody else. That was a topic of conversation here as well. Thank you for, mm -hmm. okay, go ahead. So I I wanted to make it clear that all kinds of people can be horrible (laughs) and um, in different ways. And uh, these were not only women and white women, and some of them were my, had been my friends, Mm. um, but they saw a, um, they believed that they could make benefit financially uh, um, from my story, and so they did, not caring about what happened to me. And, and by the way, uh, and I included this in the article, the, the woman lawyer that they went to was an African-American woman. And she wrote the complaint, and it was her obligation as a lawyer to make sure that the facts she included in her complaint were truthful. And she never contacted me either. She didn't care. Hmm. Um to even do her job as a lawyer, forget about hurting another woman. Um, and so I just wanted to bring that out. And I also brought out that the one person to whom I turned 
um, for help, the one person that I could count on, because if you read the article, you'll see that a U.S. senator became involved in yep. um, a bizarre twist because um, the senator was about to hire the person who had harassed me, and I wanted to warn him about this person's propensity towards bad behavior. And Washington, D.C., as we know, is a place where men with power or people others and um, instead of taking my warning he then turned on me and tried to get me to say it wasn't such a big deal anyway to have a US senator going after you uh, anywhere is difficult and in Philadelphia which is where I am and where I was practicing I couldn't figure out who I could get to help me and so I then called on a professor I had had at Harvard Law School uh, a black man, a black professor, Charles Ogletree, and he he came to my assistance in a way that was enormously helpful, and I'm very grateful to him. But I, I wanted to show, you know, that people can be really good and really bad, and and it's not because of um, one's race. It's just I think if you're a good person or not. Right, um, and that's that's so very, to be careful. Very well said. In your article that appears on the American Thinker, really, folks, you've got to read this article uh, by our guest. It, it's 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 titled "The Big Law Firm Casting Couch," um, and of course, there are other articles, but this one, the latest, and it's very topical given the headlines of today, uh, Lori. If one of the questions that we all seem to have here at the studio, and we've been talking about this, and, and perhaps you may have answered it um, already, maybe not directly, but indirectly. Why are we seeing now the flood of, it, it seems like all of a sudden the gates have opened, and and we, we've seen so many people come forward, whether it's a year, a month, or ten years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, what's this phenomenon that we're seeing? What's well, this? Uh, this sounds very trite, and I, and I don't mean it to be trite, but I think it has something to do with a phenomenon of uh, when you're in a supermarket and there's no one online, and then one person gets online, and all of a sudden... Everyone is online. It's just this pack mentality. And not to say that these stories that are coming out aren't true. It's just there was a trigger, and that did open the floodgates. And the Harvey Weinstein story was so extreme and so grotesque um, that people did begin to say, well, yes, that's what happens um, to to people who are in vulnerable positions. And lots of people said, yeah, that happened to me, and I never said anything. But you know what? The person shouldn't have gotten away with it. And so they're not bringing litigation because, as you mentioned, lots of these instances are way in the past. But just naming it, uh, I do understand that um, emotional response the problem, of course, becomes it just swings too far and everyone wants to get involved. And, yeah, that happened to me too. And, and sometimes the stories that they're telling, no, it didn't happen. That wasn't sexual harassment. You felt bad about something that happened. But, you know, 
put on your big girl pants and let's <laughs> say someone was rude, someone was horrible. Okay, move on. You know, sexual harassment doesn't happen except in the workplace. It's not just free-floating bad behavior. Uh, there's protection because women used to be the ones and, and still largely are the ones in the lower levels of the power structure in employment and there needed to be a way to protect them. Um, but it, it's not about, you know, policing social interactions generally. Um, and I think people really need to understand that. They really need to know. Uh, it's kind of like in the world of, <laughs> here. okay, here's a, a law geek talking, but in the world of torts, when something bad happens, uh, you don't get to say, oh, this bad thing happens, I'm going to court. No, unless you you were damaged, and I mean damaged, you can show that you were harmed. You don't have a cause of action. You had something bad that happened to you. That's it. You know, as opposed to hurt feelings. Um, right. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, if you're still practicing, I need your number. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm kidding. And certainly. Um uh, wow, wow, and that, that that very important distinction. That, that however, you know, and, and it's it, uh, now. If I can ask you this one question, uh, taking politics out of this, uh, just removing politics, one an- another question that we have discussed and we often have gotten ourselves, and we reference is the situation with uh, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton. And Hillary knowing, for example, again, politics aside just momentarily, but knowing that the, um, if we can't extract politics from this, knowing that Hil- what Hillary Clinton allegedly knew in covering and enabling Bill's behavior. Any thoughts on that situation? Oh, I'm not sure how to take politics out of it. Yeah. I, I, Maybe that was that was kind of an unfair question, I suppose, because of the the power, the innate power of the the office. And well, no, we're talking. No, what he did was wrong. Uh, we're talking about Hillary's response, and the reason I'm reluctant because I am angry that someone in her position allowed what she allowed her husband to do. She knew about it, and what I'm most bothered by is what I believe to be her trashing of uh, some of the women, I guess all of the women who came forward right. and made claims. That's wrong. It's wrong for anyone to cover up someone's bad activities just because um, you want to get a goodie at the end because you want to be president someday, you want to be senator just someday, you want to get that raise. I mean, that's just bad behavior, and it isn't um, because she's a Democrat or she's, you know, or someone else is a Republican. That's just wrong, uh, and it's wrong for a woman, particularly one who holds herself out as this, you know, icon of feminism. Um, that well, was bad. Exactly, and part of the reason why I asked that, in addition to, of course, the, um, the 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 fact that we we discussed it, and we've gotten questions about this. But my wife and I were talking about this, and and uh, she said, you know, if you would ever think that I would 
stand by your side or cover. <laughs> you've got, you know, you got nothing coming. That's right. <laughs> You're going to be out the door. Um, uh-huh. And I have to, obviously, because that's just the right thing to do. And I just see this perversity that that took place. And I, I, you know, especially for someone who stands up for women's rights or allegedly stands up for women's rights. I don't know. I just, so I wanted to ask that question um, just because it, it um, you know, it, it you were thinking about it, and yeah, yeah, you know, it's an obvious question, and it, it's it's clearly hmm. um, a, a level of hypocrisy that is deeply disturbing. But again, we need to be careful. Right now, we're seeing all kinds of allegations, and we do need to make sure that they are founded allegations that we're not, you know, as you mentioned earlier, we're not just throwing out due process. Right. Um, because I do think that there is soon going to be a wave of attacks against people, um, you know, attacks on their character, whether or not they're well-founded. And we all need to be wary of that, regardless of which side of the aisle it happens on. I, I agree. And I often think, too, and, and boy, I'll tell you what, the policy of Mike Pence, I think, is is a pretty good policy. <laughs> you know what? And uh, my wife and I have talked about this before. I'm never, I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I will never, ever be alone with a woman anywhere. No, that's not to disparage women. It's just so there's no chance of, yeah. Yeah. you know. You know, in the Orthodox Jewish community, um, that is the standard. You don't do that. You don't go into a room and have the door shut if right. it's uh, uh, unmarried people together. Uh, so it's something, when I heard Mike Pence did that, I thought, wow, you know, <laughs> um, I'm very familiar with that behavior. <laughs> and I don't, it kind of surprised me that people thought that was funny or weird. Um, yeah. And shame on them. And now they know better. Indeed. Indeed. So, so there is, um, hey, you are able to compliment a woman on her fine dress. You're able to compliment a woman on her appearance. Uh, you're able to be a gentleman and without fear of being called a, uh, you know, a, a sexual abuser as you have. Well, no, out. no, no. You could fear it because you might be called it, but it just won't be accurate. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Again, a distinction with a significant difference there. Yeah. And uh, okay. also, you know, in, if you just read a transcript, he said her dress looked nice. That sounds so innocuous. Right. But of course we know sometimes there's a leer and there's, you know, looming over somebody. So uh, these sexual harassment investigations that I did and when I gave the seminars, you have to really pay attention. They're all very fact-specific. Uh, and so the armchair uh, lawyers and judges um, really are doing a disservice when they say, oh, I know what happened, because you don't. Okay. And, and th- thank you for that. Thank you for that correction, clarification. I wasn't saying you don't. No. I, I just, in general. Uh, yeah. And, and I get that. And I think our audience gets that as well. Wow. This has been a fascinating hour uh, from Jerusalem to. Uh, you know, from from the good news um, with respect to the government operations to, of course, the more sultry, um, ugly news. Uh, uh, 
about sexual har- harassment, the harassment um, in the workplace and beyond. So uh, you are just a fountain of knowledge, and thank you so much for your gracious gift of time tonight. Uh, we really appreciate your writing. We appreciate you, you coming on our show, and uh, we hope that you'd ever you'd consider coming on again at some future point. I sure would. Thank you so much. I really okay. enjoyed talking with you guys. Fantastic. And again. Um, what a gracious lady. Thank you so very much. Uh, what a gracious lady, uh, the author, an author for American Thinker. You know, you can follow her on Twitter. I, I just did, and I, I just bounced from the page there. Uh, Lori Laurenthal Marcus, American Thinker, at Lori L. Marcus is her Twitter handle. Of course, on Facebook as well. Gracious lady, attorney, very knowledgeable. Everything from the Middle East to sexual harassment. My goodness. You're listening to the Hagman Report Network Break. December 6th edition of the Hagman Report. Each and every Wednesday in hour number three, we are joined by Pastor David Langford from the Voice of Evangelism. He joins us to give us his uh, insights and, and uh, views on current events through the lens of the Bible and Bible prophecy. And today, as we've been talking about all show, we have uh, a story that is right up that alley with the president announcing to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Um, bringing up international backlash from not only the mainstream media here, but leaders and allies of the Palestinians. Pastor Langford, Pastor, back to by the, the way, by the way, Pastor Langford was the first person I thought of when I heard that announcement. Uh, I don't know why, but I did. So there you have it, Doug. You're very insightful. Well, I'm, I'm not sure about that. It was. It was. It, I it, it, my my thought process was real simple. Jerusalem, uh, Israel, uh, Bible, Pastor Langford. That, that's kind of the, the hops that my mind went. Just really like three steps. Pretty elementary. You know, I was, uh, I was profusely elated today at that. And there, there, there are numerous reasons. And, you know, we kind of touched on all this last week. Uh, if you will remember, as I said, uh, Jerusalem, is where God has placed his name in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 6. He says, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. And so every time an event of this, and this is, this is, this is significant. This is as, as significant as May the 14th, 1948, when Israel was declared a sovereign state. Uh, this is right up there equivalent to that because Israel captured the entirety of Jerusalem June the 6th, 1967, better than was the Six-Day War. Uh, there's, a, there's a theological term, uh, preterism, preterist. It's people who believe that Israel has continued on uh, in the Christian church after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., uh, but that's that's heretical teaching. That is not true. That's impossible. 
And what demonstrates, again, that not being possible is today's event. You are already witnessing leaders of nations profusely, profoundly disturbed. I was I was sitting tonight and I watched a, just a segment on ABC World News, and I listened to the montage of of just castigation, uh, and I thought, you know, whatever the world hates, I think I'm going to love it, and whatever the world loves, I think I'm going to hate. And God loves Jerusalem, and you know, I, I as I sat there and and trying to soak the magnitude of this in, I thought again about Donald Trump. The last Muslim in the White House was all for the destruction. And whether we want to believe this or not, this is going to give us an element of more reprieve. Uh, He said, I'll bless those that bless thee, and curse him that cursed thee in Genesis 12 and 3. This was a blessing to the the nation of Israel. It was a blessing to Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, You see, the devil wants Jerusalem. Jerusalem will, at some point in time, succumb to the entirety of the Gentile world. We know that according to Luke 21. I won't get into that yet. But in November of 1994, when Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated, John Paul, the Pope, went to the, the funeral, and he spoke to Leah Rabin, Yitzhak's wife, and he told her, he said, Jerusalem, here again, why Jerusalem? Why not Rome? The, Rome has tried to steal uh, the birth of the church and transplant it from Jerusalem to Rome, but that's that that's not true. That did not happen. But John Paul told Leah Rabin, he said, Jerusalem must become an internationalized city. It must become the capital of three faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. I don't know why God suffered it. I don't know why God allowed it. But Abraham fathered all three aspects, Judaism, Islam through uh, Ishmael, and of course he's the father of Christianity. How God, why God allowed that to come through his loins, I don't know, but that's that's a reality. And for years, uh, under, behind the scenes, they've been working and negotiating some type of a scenario, a plan, where like Islam can have it on Friday, uh, the Jews can have it on Saturday, and the Christians have it on Sunday, the Temple Mount I'm referring to now. And so all of this is fomenting, but what Donald Trump did today stopped that. Because this is this is why nobody has taken it on their own to move the embassy to Jerusalem, and we're already going to try to find land, a building, whatever America is, and it may take three, four, five years. But this is the process. The, the, the wheels of God are, are turning. You've heard me talk about Kronos, and Karios relative to time. Chronos is the succession of time, one, two, three, four, five, six, which gets us to the Karios, which is a divine appointed time when foreordained events must come to pass. All the rapturists, pre-tribulationist rapturists, you need to start looking at your errors 
error in your doctrine because you're witnessing more and more of the book of Revelation being fulfilled, and you're still here. This, this, ought, to, this ought to send off alarm bells and the pre-tribulation rapture circle. What in God's name is going on? Now we're, we're, we're recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and, and of course, you know, Turkey, Egypt, the Jordanians, everyone is getting in, in a hissy fit here because they thought that, that this was going to come about another way and be a two-state solution. I knew, I knew during the campaigning, the presidential campaigning, when Donald Trump said, I don't care if there's one state or two states, it doesn't matter to me. I knew he had not been indoctrinated, he had not been tampered with, he had not been initiated into any kind of rights. He's just a man that would speak just like any of us would. You, Doug, Joe, myself, he's speaking in normalcy. He's not been groomed to, to give the, 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 the rhetorical jargon that the world is saying and, and wanting to hear and, and what they're trying to bring to fruition. This is an act of God. It remind, reminded me of Proverbs 21.1, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Uh, Revelation 17, 17, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. That can be evil, that can be good. Again, when Donald Trump done this, we're already seeing the, 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 the desire for war. Uh, and of course, uh, somebody castigated me the other day because I mentioned Albert Pike. And they say, you mentioned Albert Pike a lot. Well, the reason I mentioned Albert Pike is because that's what the New World Order said would happen. There would be three world wars. We've seen World War One, we've seen World War Two, and we're anticipating a third world war. Now, Albert Pike said in the third world war, we'll have the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims all fighting. What happened today is throwing gasoline on the fire. Um, I am I, confident it is God's will, it's God's plan, but people do things not really understanding why they're doing it. We've all been guilty of, of doing something, whether it's benevolent or whatever the case might be, and we really weren't sure why we were doing it, but we felt compelled, we felt constrained to do that. Uh, and for whatever reason, Donald Trump feels constrained uh, to do that. Now, people say, well, his son-in-law... Uh, Jared is is, is uh, a part of this, but more than that, it's it's what God has willed. Uh, I, I was doing some some reading yesterday. You know, Jerusalem uh, means a city of peace. There's never been a city more besieged, a city that's been destroyed more times than any other city, and it's because it is the city that God has placed His hand and His name upon. Um, I was just going through some, some things in my mind yesterday uh, about Jerusalem. I knew we would be coming back talking about Jerusalem because we said that last week. But Jerusalem is the very place where the Christian church was birthed. This is, this is the origin of the Christian church. Um, Jesus, in, in Luke 24, 49, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon ye, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The Holy Ghost fell at Jerusalem. It didn't fail, uh, fall in Samaria. Uh, it didn't fall in Egypt. It didn't fall in, 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 in Jordan. 
the, the Spirit of God came at Jerusalem. And then there in Luke 24, verse 50 says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So that's where they went. And God took them, or told them to go back there, in Jerusalem, not another place, but to go there and tarry until they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. So this is this was the beginning of the church, and I can somewhat uh, maybe understand why some people would think uh, Israel was done away with, but then that's they, they, their continuation was in the church. That's better known today in modern terminology as replacement theology, uh, meaning that is, uh, the church has replaced Israel. That's not true. Uh, when you go back and you really study the book of Romans, you understand there is distinctly two separate entities. We are grafted in, Paul said. Uh, Romans eleven twenty five says, Blindness in part has happened unto Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So you got one entity that is uh, blind, and that's the Jews. And, and Paul and his epistles was the desirous that they, they would become blind and that they would become jealous of the blessings of God upon uh, the Gentiles and, and, and come back. Um, I, I find it profound. Uh, we, 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 we as Gentiles... Uh, Christian Gentiles, especially those who claim to be ministers, will preach the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But yet in the next breath, they'll castigate Israel. Well, who do you think Jacob was? Jacob, the man, was Israel. In Genesis 32, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel and says, now you are a prince. And you have power with God. I have said for over a quarter of a century, as I begin to understand some things, Israel will not lose a battle in war until the Antichrist arises. It will be at that time they will begin to lose, and they will begin to cry out, and they will begin to plead for God to help them, to deliver them. And when you go back to the book of Zechariah, this is, this is what happened today. This is what happened today. I'm going to share from Zechariah chapter 12, because all the nations now are getting upset. There's, there's, a, there's a fever that has been ignited, and Zechariah 12, verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens, layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Here's the, here's the key phrase. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. I'm going to make it a burdensome stone. 
and every one that burdens themselves with it shall be cut into pieces. Uh, it was several years ago, I believe it was uh, the leader in Brazil, South America, I'm, I'm not sure what, what, what part down there, but I thought he, he made a, some kind of declaration on the floor of the United Nations, and I thought, man, wh why does that interest you? You know, you got enough problems in your country, and you're concerned about Jerusalem? And, and so when we when we watch all of these things taking place, this is one of the great indicators. This is one of the signs of the times, you might say. Uh, the word signs in the Greek always means indicators, indications, marks, like road signs, marks, indications, telling you how close you're to your destination or uh, the speed limit's going to change or you're going to merge with traffic or whatever the case might be. Those are signs. Well, today, uh, this was a, a tremendous sign to every one of us that God is still on his throne and that Jerusalem is his city. Uh, and he, he admonishes us in Psalms 122.6. He said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I wonder how many Christians who castigate Israel are praying for Jerusalem. You know, um, we're getting ready to see some some really interesting things because God's, it's God who said this. I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Uh, and and in, the, in the Hebrew, that literally means it'll be a cup of poison. It is a cup of poison uh, to all the people round about. And then he says, all them that burden themselves with it, I will cut in pieces. Though he has, in the end, going to bring all the nations of the world against Jerusalem into the valley of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, and have this great onslaught. I remember when I was in Israel and I was looking at the valley of Megiddo, how vast the valley was. And uh, Marvin Rosenthal was there teaching. And um, I was sitting there thinking as I looked at the, the greatness and the vast expanse of that valley, and I said to myself, I said, but the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the, the blood would run to the horse's bridle. And I thought all of the blood in the world, but in this one valley, the blood would not run to the horse's bridle. And then Marvin began to expound on that very subject. And I think it was God helping me to understand the magnitude of what's going to happen. But he said, in the, in the battle, in the, when they are raided for the battle, there'll be enough blood shed in the valley that is the blood, the, the horses are, are prancing and dancing and running in the valley that the uh, blood will splash to the horse's bridle. And that's still an enormous amount of blood. But, you know, it is God uh, that's going to bring the world, literally, to the valley of Megiddo, the, the, the valley of Armageddon, to bring them to that great battle and, and going to slaughter them in that battle. And um, he, he says there in uh, Revelation 19 and 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, 
and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both small and great, free and bond. So this, this, there's going to be such carnage in the valley that this angel is going to summons, uh, just like you see uh, vultures, uh, when something is dead and there's a carcass, how they begin to circle. God himself is going to gather, I don't think we could number uh, the magnitude, the, the number of fowls that will start gathering in that valley to eat all of that flesh. That's, that's what they're going to do. And uh, that parallels with uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 28, uh, 27 and 28, when Jesus said, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So Jesus gave us insight right there in Matthew 24 about the enormity of the carcasses that are going to be in that valley. And of course, he summons the, the fowls of the air to come, eagles and all, together together and to eat their flesh. And uh, this also is a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 6. In verse 14 and 15, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman uh, hid themselves uh, in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. So, you know, all of this ties together, and of course, it's all going to ultimately end in there in the Middle East, and Christ will set up his kingdom and his, his government, there will be no end. It's amazing how all this began, the Garden of Eden, most people say it's traced back to Babylon, uh, there in Iraq. Um, this is where it all began, and this is where it's all going to end, and as as the church, uh, this is this is significant because, as I said, the church was first birth in Jerusalem. Uh, revival broke out in Jerusalem. Uh, I want to go to Acts chapter two, uh, verse twelve through sixteen. And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, "What meaneth this?" Talking about the spirit of God was being poured out at the temple in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in that upper room. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, which would have been nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the, by the prophet Joel. So God was, again, sending them back to Jerusalem for the express purpose of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so this is where, this is where our, our, our history, our roots as Christians, goes all the way back 
to Jerusalem. I want to share another passage. Uh, the apostles had been arrested. Uh, they'd been put in, in jail, and they'd gotten out of jail. And then picking up in Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was a witness whom God hath given to them that obey him. So, you know, we're, we're witnessing a, a, a tremendous display of God synchronizing and getting everything together. Now, you know, I saw on someone's website, you guys probably read it this week somewhere, they're wanting to put the tracking devices on, on trucks. Uh, everything is being implemented because in the end, there's only a three-and-one-half-year scenario of, of time left. So everything will have to be in place. Jerusalem uh, will have to be in, in its right place, its right posture, the mark of the beast, the beast government, the beast system. All of this will be, be in position. But this is just another major piece of the puzzle, and this is why the Antichrist wants to go and set himself up in the temple. Second um, Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul said, uh, let's back up to verse 3. Second Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the coming of our Lord, that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalt himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is why Israel is so happy. If all this comes to full fruition, which it will, it's just a matter of time, they'll get to rebuild the third temple. And then the Antichrist will have a place to go in and sit and create what Jesus described as the abomination of desolation found in Matthew twenty four fifteen. Jesus said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, and then in most of your Bibles will have in parentheses, Whoso readeth, let him understand. What's he trying to get us to understand? He's trying to get us to understand the prophecy that Daniel was given in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. So this is, this is all coming to pass. The two witnesses, uh, when they show up, they're not going to show up in L.A. They're going to show up in Jerusalem. Because God is going to give them the power to do the same miracles that Moses and Elijah did in, in their ministries. Uh, let's look at that. Revelation 11, verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. The Christian church knows nothing of, of an altar in the context. We don't have an altar that we go to like Mecca. Israel's nearest proximity to the temple is the western wall. That's why they go there and they pray. 
the church, our altar is our heart. We, we, I can make an altar right here in my office, get on my knees and turn around and put my face in my chair and make an altar. We don't have a literal physical altar as Christians. We can, it can be in your bathroom. It can be in your bedroom. It can be in your car, anywhere. It, it, it's a spiritual altar. This is this that that John speaks of here in Revelation 11 is a literal physical altar, and the the, the church of, and the body of Christ knows nothing about that altar. As a matter of fact, that reed, uh, and, and when he says it to measure, that that's not a measurement to build something. It's already built. That is a measurement for destruction. You'll find that in Lamentations chapter two, verse eight. I don't have time to go there, but that's what that's about. Because destruction is about to set in. Verse 2, but the court, which is without, that would be the outer court, the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. That's why I say you'll never read a seven-year period in the book of Revelation. All of my all of my people out there that, 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 that say, I, I, I believe in a seven-year tribulation, seven-year rapture, and all that stuff, you don't have any Bible for that. There's no scripture in the book of Revelation that talks about a seven-year period. It's always 42 months, 1,260 days, or time. That's one. Times is two. That makes three. Now we've got half a time. All right. Revelation 11, two. But the court which is without, the temple leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. I will give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in like manner be killed. I don't believe literal fire comes out of their mouth. I believe they call fire down out of heaven, uh, as uh, Elijah did in, uh, in Second Kings. Uh, when they came to arrest him, and he said, "If I be a man of God, let the fire of God fall out of heaven." And the, and the fire of God fell, and uh, they were consumed. Uh, so the fire fell from heaven. That's what I believe that is, is 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 symbolic when it's coming out of their mouth. They just speak the word, and it comes to fruition. And if any man hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut up heaven. That's what Moses did, that it rained not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them into blood. I had that backwards. Elijah shut up the heavens, that it rained not. It was Moses who turned the water into blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as oft as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies, the two witnesses, shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That simply means where our Lord was crucified is Jerusalem. So this is where uh, that as well is going to take place. So we are, uh, we're into some very interesting times, and it'll be interesting to see uh, during this remainder of this four-year term uh, of Donald Trump what will all be manifest, what will all come to fruition. Now, there's no doubt uh, the deep state is adamant to take him out uh, because this has become a witch hunt with Mueller and his crowd, and we're all hearing the news. I'm sure, Doug, you and Joe have really been abreast of all of this. You might oh, yes. give me a little insight there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if I'm hearing you correctly, in a sense, um, 
it, it almost seems like a race of agendas, a race against the clock. You've got Donald Trump in the context of um, the Jerusalem mandate. I'll call it that. Uh, the opposing camp, of course, trying to take Donald Trump down. Um, and, and they're they're both racing the clock, it's, or, or so it seems. Um, who can who can take or who can get there first? The objective accomplished first. Um, at least that's the way it appears to me. Uh, well, I think as long as Donald Trump, I'll say this: nothing can happen to him until God wills it to happen. As okay. long as he's doing, you know, God's will, knowingly or unknowingly. He will he will continue to survive, but this is what's ratcheting up the the the, the, the anger against the, the new world order rising up. They want to stop this because they they don't want this coming to fruition because this lets the devil know his end is nearing, and so Donald Trump in, at the end of the day is going to have practically everyone hating him except a, 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 a true Jew. Who understands, you know, what you call a messianic Jews or what, and Christians who understand real Bible prophecy. But everybody else, you know, as I said, just ask yourself the question why is Jerusalem so significant and so important to, to nations in, in the world who, in theory, have nothing to do with it? But they've got something to say. It, it, look at all the uh, resolutions that have been passed against Jerusalem, and nobody says hardly a thing about North Korea or Iran, because they hate God's place. And I, you know, Donna Brazil has just all of a sudden just almost all but disappeared. And if this thing keeps going at the rate it's going, uh, there's going to be something happen uh, with some people in Washington that I think will get up one morning and they'll be, uh, like it was a Seth Rich, they'll be killed. Uh, this thing is getting too sideways, and all—it's really for all the wrong reasons. Interesting, and, and I have to agree with you on that. Yeah, and it, it is a political witch hunt, Pastor. The FBI, as we've been saying, has gone rogue. Uh, you know, now we see that uh, FBI agents who were involved in the Clinton email probe, also involved in the Trump Russia investigation, have been uh, removed from the case for their anti-Trump bias. The FBI seems to, uh, you know, just be instead of you know the mandate of looking at the crime and finding those guilty who perpetrated it, they are looking at the people and trying to find the crimes, which is backwards and and completely separate from what Robert Mueller was tasked to do. And then on top of it, you have the anti-Trump rabid media, who, according to uh, on Newsbusters, they have several clips, are in meltdown mode, calling Trump delusional saying that his decision to move the uh, embassy to Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem of the cap as the capital is unsettling it's going to cause violence he uh, is dangerous and he is the cause of any violence that comes because of this and Chris Matthews says uh, evangelicals are crazy and deaths are coming because of Trump's Jerusalem speech and as bad as the FBI is the media is that much worse you know, why, why, why should Christians die because of moving the embassy to Jerusalem? It shows you the hatred for Christ. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a bone with, with, uh, 
Brussels, Belgium, uh, Tokyo, Japan. I mean, let them do what they want to do. Why is it that there's untold involvement in Jerusalem? It's because God said, I'm going to involve you because I'm going to make it a burdensome stone and a trembling cup. You're going to drink the dregs of this thing. You know, you, you're, you're going to sow this, and you're going to reap the, the vengeance of God. And, 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 and I said, it's all because this is where God has placed his name. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making that declaration. I'm not making that affirmation. That's what the Scripture says. We either believe the Scriptures or we don't. And we talked about this last week, how that God made a covenant with a man called Abraham. In Psalms 89, 34, he said, My covenant will I not break, nor alter things that are going forth from my lips. God's not going to change this, because his covenant was not with me or you. It was with a man called Abram. And uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? God's going to make his word good. He, he guards his word. He protects his word so that he can perform his word. God says of his own word, he's bound by his own oath. And that's why he said he could swear by no greater. God is bound by his own word to fulfill it. You know, we, we, we make sometimes declarations, we take an oath, but then we lie. God does not do that because he's not a man that he should lie. When God says something, it's coming to pass. And and yes, you, you, you look at the media, they will always, always castigate Israel. And uh, uh, that Amapur, uh, uh, what's your first name? Christi- yeah, is it Christian? Chris, Chris, Christiana? Yeah. Christiana, yeah. She, she was... She was interviewing Ehud Barak. He was the prime minister. And uh, and I'm going to say something here, and, and I'm not being ugly. I'm just repeating what was said, but it caught me off guard. It was a live interview, and she was castigating Ehud Barak, who was the prime minister at the time. So this would have been in the mid-'90s, 94, 95, 96. And she lambasted him, and she said to him, you guys are just terrible, terribly hard against the Palestinians. You need to be more gracious. And he said, bullshit. And I said, bullshit? What's that? S-H-E-E-T. And it dawned on me what he said. And I said, oh, I know what he's saying. You know, bull manure. Uh, but his accent was so thick, I, I, it took me for a moment to catch it. But my point is, Everybody that portrays Israel and the Palestinians or whoever, it's always an iron fist. You know, Israel is always merciless. They show no mercy. They show no compassion. They do so many, so many hateful things. But listen, they're the ones that wants to live in peace. They're the ones that have a democracy in Israel. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's a sinful place, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, homosexuals have great liberty in Israel. The, 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 the gay parade were there in Tel Aviv, you know. And, and then I hear my, my preterists and people castigate that. But look what we got in, uh, in, 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 in our nation, and we claim we're a Christian nation until Obama came along. He said, we're not a Christian nation. Well, he's telling the truth. We're not a Christian nation, you know. And, and so all of this is, is coming full circle. And, you know, I've always had the mindset, uh, if I, and I, I, before I gave up my church in 2012, I probably spent the last four years 
on Wednesday, uh, the last Wednesday night of every month, and 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 I prayed for Israel. I, I because the Bible tells me to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And what what you're actually doing when you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for the return of Jesus Christ, because there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace sets his feet down at the Mount of Olives, and then there will be peace. There will be peace, because he's going to rule with a rod of iron. You know, this passive, uh, apathetic, complacent Messiah that most hirelings preach about today don't realize the Bible said he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And I just visualize in my mind about a two and a half foot long half inch diameter rebar as he walks in, he says, the king is here. And everything, it looks like a piece of glass in a china shop. And that's how he's going to rule this time. And he came the first time as a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and he gave his life. He said, no man takes my life, I lay it down and I will raise it up. But when he comes back, he comes back on that great white stallion. And on his head are innumerable crowns, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And he has a name written that no man knows but he himself. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God and the armies, which when heaven followed after him upon white horses, clothed in fine and white and clean. What does he come do? He's going to tread the winepress, the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Every person, uh, spiritually speaking, is going to be put in a press. At his coming, uh, the sinners, I should say, and he's going to press and destroy, and their blood will be shed in the streets and the Valley of Megiddo, and it's going to be unbelievable what will take place relative to the carnage at that point in time. And of course, Israel will be ravaged, totally destroyed. For for for, for partly anything will be left, but that's what causes Israel uh, to turn back and ask Messiah to save them. Uh, the prophecy that Isaiah gave, that a nation would be born in one day. Now, some took that to mean a nation would be born in one day, which it was, May the 14th, 1948. Some says it means a nation would be born again in a day. Now, you find that in Isaiah 66 and verse 8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And, and, and so they will be the redeemed, of course, when, when, they, when they repent. That's why we call them uh, today Messianic Jews, uh, people who are, are in uh, Orthodoxy Judaism, and uh, they, they get saved and they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that's why they're called a Messianic Jew. When I was in Israel, um, I was trying to witness to a, a, a tour guide and and tell him about the, the Gospels. And, oh, no, 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 no. He said, uh, uh, the New Testament that you're quoting from, he said, that's just a historical book. Uh, that has no scripture, scriptural authority. That's just a history book. And you, you could just see, you know, I was wasting my time in witnessing. Now, there are those... Uh, you you win one here and there uh, in in Israel. Uh, the, I, I met a uh, uh, a Navy uh, officer, uh, Victor Kalisher. Uh, uh, he was a, a he, he was uh, he's in his mid late forties, so he served his term, uh, and and he he was a a born again Christian, and his granddad came out of the concentration camps. And he had given his heart to the Lord, so his dad 
gave his heart to the Lord. And so Victor came to know Jesus Christ because of his father. So he was third-generation Christian, uh, but but full-blown Jew. Uh, So there are those, uh, and again, we get into this, uh, the Israel of God, and those that are not the Israel of God. And of course, God will uh, weed all that out when he sends the angels to gather the harvest. Uh, One of the great scriptures, I think I shared this last week, again, was in uh, Romans 9 and 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Even Paul the apostle understood that the Ishmaelites were not the promised seed. And so this is where we get the... uh, the dichotomy, we, 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 we say, well, this one is right, this one's wrong. I don't know, you know. I, I just know what the Scripture says, and God, in his infinite wisdom and judgment, will, will adjudicate all of that correctly, you know. We don't realize the blessing we have, having been grafted in. You know, we had no opportunity to get to God, see, and, and, and our righteousness, or, or, or let me say, like the righteousness that we have attained, is by faith, and what Jesus did on the cross. You know, that's why those who are practicing the law, uh, you're, you're, you are no better off than a blind Jew, because Romans ten four said, "For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth." I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I am born again because I believe in what Jesus did on the cross. So the Christ is the end of the law. Uh, uh, when, 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 uh, when Paul is talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit, this is, I, I, this is important, this is very important for everyone to understand this, this that I'm going to share right here. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He tells us, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. So in Galatians 5 and 22, Paul said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I want you to get this. There is a law against fornication. There is a law against drunkenness. There is a law against sodomy. There's a law against adultery. It's The law is the, what, what God said, don't do that. That's the law. He is the law. But in that law, there's no forgiveness. It just, it just points out you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Look at the Ten Commandments. And, and all that, there's, there's no redemption nowhere in the Ten Commandments. It just tells us about thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It's like a kid. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't go there. It's just constantly. That's, that's, that's the law. But notice what he says, the fruit of the Spirit. So if we produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, there's no law against that. Why? That's the fruit of the Spirit of God. No man can hold a law against God because God is perfect. His spirit is perfect. I marvel that God would allow his spirit, which is perfect, to live in my carnal vessel. But it's his presence that deters me, that turns me to not sin, to not do this. Because when I sin, there is a law against that. But that's why Paul says there in, uh, in Romans ten four, For Christ is the end of the law, 
righteousness to everyone that believeth. So once you believe and become a believer, a born-again child of God, you are not subject then to the law because you're not living in sin. The law is for the unjust. The law is for the lawbreaker. You know, we have laws on our books uh, in, in, our, in our land, in our states. We have, we have all, these, all these laws, all these uh, statutes, and all of these, these types of things. And that's against those who are breaking them. If you're not breaking, then the law is not applicable to you. So why would anyone want to keep the law when Peter said, none of us were able to keep it, so why do we want to put this yoke on these Gentiles who are coming to the knowledge of Christ? Uh, Acts 15 and 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So we've been grafted in, we've been brought in, and uh, as I said, we, we, should, we, should be so, we should be so grateful, so thankful, that God has allowed us to come in because of the blindness of Israel. Um, and there are those, I, I believe, and, and I, I don't know his walk with God. I know he reads the Torah every day, but Benjamin Netanyahu, somehow I believe in my heart, he has a walk with Jesus Christ. I've, I've not seen anything to say that, or to, to allude to that, but I just believe he understands, because he, he came over here in America, and he lived for many years, and went back, served in the Israeli army, which is, uh, you have to do that. And uh, and I believe God raised him up. I think this is his third or fourth time to be prime minister of Israel. But there's a reason for these things. And uh, God chooses and God picks uh, often times when we're, we're either in our mother's womb or we've just been born. Paul said he ordained me from my mother's womb. Um, the contention between Esau and Jacob happened in the womb. Before either child was born, had a chance to do good or evil, God had chosen Jacob to be changed to Israel. And because he knew that Esau would have contempt for his birthright, God already knew all of those things. I, I, can't, I can't fathom, I can't get my mind around the sovereignty of God in some things. If you can, you're smarter than me. You're way smarter than me. I just read the scriptures and I'm like, this is this is hard to grasp. This this, this is this is hard uh, to, to to understand uh, why God does some of the things He does. But I have to understand whatever it is that God does or has done, it's the right thing because He has no nature in Him to do wrong things. That's that's the sin nature. That's the Adamic nature. That's the fallen nature. He has not fallen. That's what. Lucifer did uh, in heaven, and his name was changed to Diablos, the devil. Uh, God cast him out, called him the serpent, the dragon, Satan, the devil. Uh, as I said before, take off the letter D from the word devil, and you have evil. God knows how to name those that are fallen. So, you know, uh, I would encourage everyone to go back and reread which is very difficult. I know that it's hard some to understand, but reread the book of Romans. Uh, it's it's it, it it will help you to understand why God does. Uh, let me give one verse. I know time's almost gone, but Romans eleven and thirty two. This is one of the most profound profound verses in the Bible. Romans eleven thirty two. For God hath concluded them Israel all in unbelief, that He might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth 
of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, you, you take that verse for what it says. He said, I've concluded together in unbelief that he might have mercy on all of them. Well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, who, could, who but God could do that and be just? So it'd be like looking at a, a murderer and say, you know what? I, I'm just going to just conclude you're innocent, and I'm going to do that so I can have mercy on you, though I know you committed the murder. I, I can't get my head around that, you see, because what God is doing and has done is beyond our ability to understand. I think when we get the glorified bodies and we have been totally glorified in our in our in our nature, our state, and everything, the new the new entire mind, a glorified mind, uh, the all these questions will be answered because Paul is clear. He he, he says the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge, how unsearchable are his judgments. You know. When we think we're absolutely right about something, there can always be that little question, what if? That does not exist in God. It's not, I'm 99% sure. You know, if we got something that's 99%, you know, we feel like, man, this is, this is, a, this is a dead lock. But see, that 1% will get our humanity, but that, that, that does not happen with God because he already knew the end from the beginning and and knew all this was going to take place. Even Jesus Christ, he said, was slain from the foundation of the world. So before Adam was ever made, he had already uh, predestined Christ to be slain and die on a cross because he knew Adam would fail. So it's beyond me uh, to grasp those things. But I, I, I think every believer tonight should be elated, should be excited. Uh, now, now let me let me put the caveat out there. There's, there's going to be death through this. This enunciation of the moving the embassy, there will be death because the, 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 the Islamic world is not going to accept this. And that's why they're castigating Donald Trump and his mentation, his mentality uh, being unstable. But uh, got to remember, God's hand is on the throttle and uh, he, he's got everything under control. You, you know, Pastor, it's amazing how We've been talking for I don't know how long uh, you've been on the air. It's just amazing to me. We are seeing in real time the events that we've been talking about, you've been talking about, unfold, could come to pass. And and this is one of those hinge moments in time, the, the uh, time markers, I, I, I believe, as you had indicated. It should, um, uh, it should build everyone's faith without a doubt. Oh, for sure. For sure, and, and tonight you you basically addressed not just uh, well you you addressed uh, replacement theology, you addressed um, the tribulation period, as well as the um, doctrine of of the pre tribulation or <clears throat> rapture. Excuse me, <clears throat> post tribulation, pre tribulation rapture. Those three issues, all coming from this one event, is that is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Uh, this this is part. The tribulation, the great tribulation, is the wrath of Satan. Revelation twelve and twelve. Woe 
to you that habits of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And you finish reading that 12th chapter of Revelation, he goes after Israel and those that keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. That's the right. church. So right. all of this is laid out, and this is one of the things that's going to provoke Satan because he knows his time is short. And right. so this, this ratchets up uh, the Great Tribulation period. Uh, the closeness to it, I should say, of it taking place. Right. And yes, yes, exactly. Wow. And yeah, remember, uh, historic. Uh, well, Jeremiah well. thirty-two eight. It is the time of Jacob or Israel's trouble. Israel's happy right now tonight. They're elated, but before it's over, they're going to be troubled and mourning and weeping. It yeah. will turn. It will not turn for the better, it will turn for the worse, but that will cause them to repent and ask Messiah to, to save them. Amen. Wow. All right. And, and it helps my understanding. The, the way you explain this, and I'm going to have to go back and listen to this, certainly lays it all out very well. It, it, it helps me understand what the Bible says. And I'm going to go back and read the, the book of Romans, you said? Yeah. Read the book uh, of yeah. Romans. It just helps you understand Judaism slash the church being grafted in. Uh, and being a okay. part of this, because the salvation, uh, John four twenty two, salvation is of the Jews. That makes a lot of people mad, boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Lankford, yes, for you know for your your uh, tremendous gift of time and, and your knowledge and uh, your witnessing to the events of today. This is it's it's a remarkable time to be alive for sure. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night, everyone. God bless you. Thank you so very much. Pastor David Langford, thevoiceofevangelism.com. You know, uh, wow. Again, it's um, just contemplate what has happened, even over the last, uh, I was going to say last 10 years, but just over the last 12 months, 10 months even, contemplate everything that's happened. And there is some spiritual meat there. And tonight was all about, if you go back and listen to our second hour guest talking about uh, Jerusalem, talking about the moving of, or the recognition of Jerusalem as a capital. And we talked in the first hour, mentioned about the violence promised from this, and of course the third hour, wrapping up with uh, Pastor David Langford. Incredible, incredible, incredible. We only have uh, just a, a few minutes left in the show. There's some news on Al Franken. There's been a number of female senators that have uh, urged him to resign, and he is making an announcement tomorrow. But apparently he is denying that he will be resigning tomorrow. So that will be interesting to see what happens about that. Also, uh, Senator Conyers, who has stepped down, who has appointed his son to take his place. His son was arrested for domestic abuse but not prosecuted. Also, his son had put out... Uh, some pretty interesting videos. Um, Did you see talking the, all ghetto about um, yeah his dad being a player? <laughs> Did you see the video, uh, Conyers' wife? This was a couple of, several years ago. Uh, I, look, I don't know where it is on the, on the internet. It's on YouTube. Uh, it was a Detroit news station that did this um, piece of, uh, about Conyers' wife. If you have the opportunity, I'll check it out. You've got you've got to find it. In fact, you can put it on the Hagman Report. It's it's it linked to it. It's an amazing piece. You have Conyers' wife arguing with with eighth graders, or debating eighth graders in the in the second half of um, 
the video in the first half, she's at a council meeting. She calls the, the council president Shrek. <laughs> um, oh, it's, it's just, it's an incredible piece of video. It really, it really is. It's by a Detroit television station. But with that, keep you, your eye on those yeah. wildfires out in yes. California. I'm starting to wonder, you know, how are the, how are these fire, fires starting? And all these different places, and uh, so many are popping up, just like they happened a few months ago. But keep your eye on that. These is, this is going to be an ongoing emergency throughout the evening. And with that, we are done for tonight. Have a great night, everyone.